We are live on the Conversations That Matter podcast and Right Response Ministries podcast. And who I don't know, I don't think it's streaming on AD's platform yet, but no, uh, maybe, not maybe yet. it will later. So um, I just wanted to let everyone know that. Oh, does someone does someone have me on? I'm hearing myself in the background. Someone have me up on YouTube or something. That was weird. OK. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was listening to myself. It was weird. Anyway, I was getting some feedback. So um, the purpose of what we're doing right now is pretty simple. Uh, I, I'm not going to speak for anyone else in this chat. We got uh, Dusty Devers, um, who's a pastor who helped author the statement on Christian nationalism. Uh, we have uh, A.D. Robles, who probably doesn't need an introduction. Joel Webin, Pastor Joel Webin, doesn't need an introduction. William Wolf, we've had uh, on the podcast before. And um, all of these guys have been advocates of Christian nationalism. They've taken the label. And um, I don't want to speak for them, but I, I know that efforts to communicate with G3, since G3 um, folks have been very critical about Christian nationalism, have been made. I know I made those um, most notably last week. And uh, I'm sad to say that um, what I was hoping would happen tonight is we, we would have a, a discussion with people like Josh Bice and Scott O'Neill, um, whoever else wanted to, Virgil Walker, I emailed them, and uh, that's not going to happen. Uh, they, they don't want to come on the podcast. They feel that, I guess, I've misrepresented them. I've been going back and forth uh, in an email correspondence with Josh, but I haven't heard anything from him in a few days. So that's from my end. I know the other guys have also had... Um, their own uh, reaching out and that kind of thing. And, and so um, what I thought was the best thing to do in this situation to clarify for people so people understand what this issue is, I'm still getting questions about it, is just to play uh, the other side in their own words. What are they saying? Do they have legitimate points? Maybe they do. Um, it, it's obviously better if we can talk to each other. But um, since that's not happening, the next best thing is to, to play their own words and then to let these guys uh, weigh in. So that's what we're going to do. Um, any preliminary thoughts that any of you guys want to share before we get into it? I just want to say that I will be listening to this for the first time. Um, so same, same. Yeah, I, I haven't heard it before. I'm sure it's great. We'll see. AD, you're, you're the only one that I think that has li actually listened to this, right? Or Yeah, I, li I listened to the whole thing uh, and I did a live tweet uh, kind of reaction to it. So I think this will be fun. Honestly, the, the, if if they had started with the kind of what they said on the podcast, I don't even think any of the memes would have gone would have popped off. I mean, it, the, the, the podcast is relatively uh, tame and good. I, I don't agree with a lot of it, but it's not it's not obnoxious the way the tweets were. He'd <laughs> be saying, I don't think the memes would have popped off. Like, like he doesn't have direct control over those memes. AD, you, you single-handedly uh, account for 50% of those memes. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That is so untrue, although I do share quite a lot of them. <laughs> this is really getting off to a great start, AD guys. Is, AD is a meme, he's a meme amplifier. He's not necessarily yeah, okay. a meme okay. That's right. I'm, I'm not okay. the creator. I just amplify it. I'm All like right. the agent, you know? Signal right. booster. He's the John, meme. I'd like um, to say something real quick before I jump in. Yeah. Go for it. Yeah, just that. I think, yeah, I think that, um, you know, you know, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And a lot of that sharpening these days comes through theological and even theological disagreements. And so I, I hope that we can strive to 
represent ourselves clearly, but then also engage with brothers in Christ who we might disagree with and not attack them personally, but to engage the substance of what they're proposing, perhaps, you know, argue for a better case, you know, you know, to try to I'm sitting outside with a bug going around, but you know, I want to, I don't want it to be personal. I want it to be about the substance and that we can make a better case ever, you know, on this side of the line. And that, yeah. yeah. And if, can I jump in and say something towards that? Please. Yeah. I, I respect those three guys. I think all of us have said as much in various places. Uh, really respect what Josh has done with uh, Praise Mill and G3. Uh, the same with Scott Aniel and his take on uh, biblical worship. Um, and Virgil, I've been friends with Virgil for the longest and really respect those guys. So whatever feedback uh, we've talked about giving, it's just because we actually really respect these guys. It's not because uh, we think that they are our enemies or that we want to be their enemies. This is uh, ultimately to serve the broader uh, body of Christ in moving a conversation forward. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, like what you said at the end there, uh, this is about the glory of God. This is about um, trying to be faithful as much as we possibly can to obey his commands and make disciples. So uh, without further ado, let's uh, go to the video. This is about an hour long, so I don't know if we're going to get through the whole thing tonight, but um, I'm going to play portions of it. And then if any of these guys want to jump in and say, hey, hold on, we'll stop the, the uh, tape. And we'll just comment on what we're hearing. So this is from, what, maybe two weeks ago, the G3 podcast on Christian nationalism. And I, I'm one of the things that I love about, about what we do here at G3 is we don't race into conversations. Uh, we really take our time listen, think through. Now, while we've been accused of not having read the material and not taking a look at, at what people have said, um, that's absolutely the opposite. Mm -hmm. um, Christian nationalism has been has been a conversation that's been happening uh, since uh, Stephen Wolf's book has come out in November of last year. And even before that. And even before yeah. that, conversations were happening around that. Uh, but now it's kind of it's kind of bubbled up. And now that that G3 has taken a stand on this issue, um, it looks like the, the conversation has kind of reached a, a boiling point. Um, I, I want to toss things to you, Josh, and just kind of, you know, maybe even have it talk through a little bit of w how we did what we did. Uh, I, I know a lot of people are talking about what we're against, but perhaps even have a conversation mm -hmm. about what we're for. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, so as we tease, tease this out and, and talk about it, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw the ball to you and let sure. you jump into it. Yeah, well, everything we do within G3 Ministries, obviously, you men know this, is for the purpose of glorifying God and for the strengthening of local churches. So... If we're writing an article, we have that aim and that intention in mind. It sort of undergirds everything that we do. So if we're having a conversation like this in a podcast or if we're having a conference or a workshop or if we're you know, publishing articles, then it's always going to be with the goal of strengthening God's people. So as it pertains to the conversation of Christian nationalism, again, there's all sorts of different varieties. And I think that's really the problem right, is that you have someone writing a book that says it's a case for Christian nationalism, but really it's a case for Stephen Wolf's version of Christian nationalism, because there's a lot of different types of mm -hmm. Christian nationalists. When you start thinking about, you know, the, the political sphere, you have 
you know, all sorts of strange things, like in the article that I wrote on the the differing shades of Christian nationalism, mm-hmm. which can be found on the website. We sort of walk through some of those different forms. But one of the things that I, I would like to say at the beginning is that, you know, we have friends that even within a theological framework that we would say we can agree with them on a whole lot, right? I mean, if you think about um, this this conversation, you know, obviously the end goal for us ultimately is we have our aim, I think, the way that Abraham did as th- this pilgrim mindset. He is, he's basically looking at the, the world around him, and he's, he's always putting his gaze on a different city, on the city whose maker and designer, designer and builder is God. Mm-hmm. We see that language in Hebrews 11. But one of the things that, we, that we're longing for, yes, is the new heavens and the new earth. We're longing for the day when you know, King Jesus rules and reigns in a visible form here on this renewed earth. Um, how we get to that point is going to be, in our estimation, it's going to be different than, say, our friends that hold to more of a post-millennial eschatology sure. or, you know, the, the ideas of even Christian nationalism. And there's so many, you know, issues that need to be dealt with under that umbrella. Um, or even as far as, say, like a mere Christendom that you hear mm-hmm. coming out of, say, Doug Wilson that's about to release a book on that very subject. Um, we ultimately are going to be in the same place together. But how we get there, and again, this is a question of eschatology, I think, and it, and it undergirds John, this conversation you, you don't have at, to at stop various it here if you don't want to. But do you see what I mean? Like, th- this is what Dusty was talking about. Like, th- these guys are totally reasonable. You know what I mean? And 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 they're, and and you know, he mentioned, you know, or Virgil had mentioned, you know, what we do here is we try to, you know, you know, try to strengthen the church, or that was might have been Josh. I don't remember who said it, but. This is why we love those guys, right? This is what this is why we want to have conversations because everything that Josh is saying here, I mean, obviously, there's, I'm not going to be totally in agreement because he's coming at it from a critical perspective, but it's all reasonable. This is these are the kind of people you want to talk to. You see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, the only thing that I'm trying to figure out what he where he's going. It sounds to me like he's saying there's a different city we're supposed to be looking towards. And Christian nationalism, post-millennialism, and mere Christendom all contradict that outlook. And, and so he's establishing this, he's weaving this argument together. Uh, that's what it can sounds I, like to me. Can I say one thing on that note real quick? Just, sure. And I know that between the five of us, we disagree in terms of eschatology, and that's totally fine. Um, but from the post-millennial perspective, and I think that, you know, you could be all-mill or even historic pre-mill and agree with this statement. Um, you got to be really careful with that word sojourner or alien or stranger. So when when Abraham specifically, so there are cases where somebody is described as a sojourner, they're in a strange land, and they're waiting for God to deliver them out of it, right? So you think of, you know, Israel in exile for 70 years in Babylon, right? The goal is, you know, I mean, we have the prophet Jeremiah, and God speaks through him and says, hey, you're going to be here a while, so take off your hat and stay, st- stay a while, you know, and plant vineyards and give your sons and daughters in marriage. But but they, they, even though they were going to be there a while, it was still temporary. That was not uh, the final resting point. But what's funny is that there are texts that talk about guys in exile in the Old Testament and describe them as sojourners. But there's also the text, and they mentioned Abraham, and I love that they did, because Abraham is in the same breath 
the same way, described as a sojourner, but he's described not as sojourning to the destination, but even when he gets to the land of Canaan, he is still described as being in a strange land as a sojourner. But he was there, not in a land that he's in exile in, that eventually he would be removed from or delivered. He's in a land that he's going to eventually, his seed is going to conquer. He's in a land that actually is him and his generations following him, his posterity's final resting place. It's their home. So he's still described as a sojourner, but not in a land that's just temporary for him to wait to eventually go somewhere else. But he's a sojourner because this land is going to be his home, but it hasn't been established yet. It hasn't been conquered yet. And so from the post-millennial perspective, um, I don't believe that the earth is literally going to dissolve like snow or that it's literally going to be burned away with fire. Um, and a whole new earth is going to replace it. I think that the earth is going to be made new. None of us here on this call are radical two kingdom guys. So Van Druden would say uh, that the only thing that's going to translate into the new kingdom, into the heavenly kingdom, uh, in a physical sense, is our physically resurrected bodies. He actually believes everything. So, so the verse that says that all creation is groaning with expectations for the sons of God to be revealed. Van Druden and Westminster Escondido, they would say uh, that creation is groaning to be put out of its misery for a mercy killing, to be assassinated, disintegrated. Um, I don't believe that. I think most of us on the call, if not all five of us, don't believe that. We believe that the new heavens on the new earth is this earth made new, that it's going to be restored. And so I think Christians need to have a mindset of that we're not going to have this spiritual, ethereal existence forever in heaven in the 17th dimension. We're going to have a physical eternal existence with this body glorified, a physical body on a physical earth and not another earth replacing this one, but this one made new. And that's why creation is groaning with eager expectations for the sons of God to be revealed because in their revealing, in their restoration, all creation will be restored as well. So are we sojourners like Abraham? Yes, like Abraham in a land of Canaan that we're waiting to ultimately conquer and establish and build. But this world, there is a sense in which we can say it is our home. That's yeah. my point. The, the funny thing to me is that all the Old Testament saints would have been in a situation where they were implementing God's law in a specific land, and yet they were all sojourners in a sense, right? right. So. If that is true, and Abraham, of course, being the chief example of this before the Mosaic Law, but uh, if, if that is all true, then it's not really as much of a, this is what I've said before, and I don't know if people agree with me in this call, but I don't think it's as much of an eschatology issue as Josh wants to make it here, because all of those guys, um, as you rightly said, Joel, they're in a specific land implementing God's law. Uh, if you, I mean, that's a theocracy we're talking about in, in ancient Israel. And yet they're waiting for what? Uh, the city that has no foundation. They're, they're, uh, they're, they're waiting for the new Jerusalem. So um, I don't know. I, to me, it just seems like he's weaving an argument that doesn't work. In, in North Carolina, they say that dog don't hunt. Um, I don't know if anyone else wants to weigh in before we keep playing. Anyone else have thoughts on this? If my connection allows me to get a thought across, can you guys hear me? Yeah, I could hear you. <laughs> okay. Look, I mean, I'm one that says I don't think eschatology should really matter so much for the conversation on Christian nationalism. And the problem is that eschatology is mattering too much for the conversation on Christian nationalism. Because, again, the, the question of Christian nationalism is how do we order our lives rightly in the nations we live in 
under the rule of Christ now as he rules over all things, we don't have any idea when Christ is coming back. And whatever you think is going to happen exactly between now and when Christ comes back doesn't vitiate the need for just laws, for a peaceable arrangement between mankind, for the civil magistrate to be ruling rightly, you know, recognizing that he derives all authority from God and he should be upholding principles of justice and righteousness, you know, punishing evil and praising good as determined by God's law. And uh, we, in our updated draft statement today, we made that clear where we said Christian nationalism is primarily concerned with the righteous rule of civil authorities, not spiritual matters pertaining to salvation. And we could also add an additional common clause and say, and not striving to adjudicate, you know, the question of the eschatological return of Christ. Uh, so I, 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 you see here, I mean, we're jumping in really early, but you see Josh pivot very early to the question of eschatology. And, and I wish we could, could sort of save that to the very end and let's figure out how we rule righteously and justly now, what we expect from our rulers. And then we'll sure. talk about how we're waiting for Christ to come back. Well, let's, let's keep playing this, uh, see what he has to say. Yeah. And what I'm not saying is that, um, that in order for you to engage in a Christian nationalist project that you have to embrace post-millennial eschatology, I'm not suggesting that at all. What I am suggesting is that our ultimate goal within the Christian sphere should be we, we, we believe that we're going to be there together in the end, but how we get there is going to be different as we read Scripture. Yep. Now, as we think about Christian nationalism, just as we've sort of tried to define it from, say, using Wolf's definition and others, one of the things that I can say as we even have conversations on social media with some of the people that we love and respect, we could actually say that we agree with him on a lot of things. Yeah. So this idea of well, we're against drag queen story hour at the local library, mm -hmm. um, or we're against the, the alphabet soup of the day that's being crammed down our throat, or we're against this idea of redefining marriage from God's blueprint, or we're against you know all of these various different influences from the woke ideologies that are being pressed upon the church today. So how do we deal with that? And so we have some people that say, well, you know, we have to have a manly, robust, muscular form of Christianity that says we're going to stand in the public square and we're going to just fight it out, you know, with, with, with all of the, the leaders within the civil realm. And we're going to just basically, you know, claim dominion over, over every aspect of, of our culture. And what we can agree with on simple terms is that a Christian should actually speak to the, the civil sphere Absolutely. in the public square. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We should actually speak to, as John the Baptist did to Herod, right. and say, you should not have your brother's wife. We should actually do as John Piper did and speak to the President of the United States when he's celebrating the, the slaughter of, of innocent babies. Yep. We should actually do what John MacArthur did as he modeled in California as he speaks to the governor in an open letter. Right. Uh, so we should we should do this. Yeah. We should do what we did during COVID, and we should actually say no. That's not the jurisdiction of the state, mm -hmm. and the church has the right to actually gather and worship because this is the realm and the sphere where God says that we are to obey Him, and so you can't speak to this. We should see specific boundaries, and again, I think that that's where we start to get into some of the differences, perhaps. But the the real critique that I've seen on social media 
is that John, we are like polar quick. opposite. Yeah, go for it. Did we lose you, William? William I just want to pause here. it here oh, in go. case that we don't come back around to it. Yeah, that was me. Christian nationalism answers the question, what if they listen to you? Right? Like, I love it. Josh is saying we should we should challenge the governor. We should call on the president to repent. We should not close our churches down. Right? So, so I want to say, great. What happens if Joe Biden listens to John Piper and says, okay, Pastor Piper, what should I do? How should I rule that? You know, if, mm -hmm. Ga if Gavin Newsom became a Christian, how should he rule California? Amen. Amen. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I would go in that same vein and say that um, what do you do if you're a local pastor and somebody in your church is a civil magistrate? What if they're a city council member? What if they're a police officer? What if they're in the military? What if they're a governor? What if, what if they're a mayor? What if like one of the things that got me thinking about this, because because you're right, William, and I know, John, you, you've talked about this a lot as well. I think the eschatology post-millennial guys, I think our eschatology forces us to think about it. But I agree with you guys. I did a post on Twitter and, you know, a while back, a month ago. <clears throat> I agree with you that you, you don't have to be post-millennial to be a Christian nationalist. I just think the post-millennial guys, you know, are, are kind of our eschatology forces us to think about it. But here's the deal. Whether you're pre-mill or all-mill or whatever, uh, or whether you're Baptist or whether you're Presbyterian, what do you do as, as a Christian brother or especially as a pastor if you have people in your church that are civil magistrates, right? So not just like what if Joe Biden listens, what about the guy who's already a civil magistrate and is regenerate and is a member in your local church and comes to you and says, pastor, how then should we live? Right. How, how do I, I, I? It makes me think of the um, the Roman centurions, the soldiers that came to John the Baptist. And, and they're kind of almost asking implicitly this question of does the gospel have any bearing on us, too? What about us? Does the gospel say and and notice John the Baptist, he, he now I, obviously it's not this thorough discourse. We don't have every little thing that, you know, he did, we don't have a strong, you know, robust political theology given to us in that text from John the Baptist. But notice at least at minimum what John the Baptist doesn't say. He doesn't say, well, the bearing of the gospel upon you, civil magistrate, lesser magistrate, soldier, is that you must leave. You must leave off being a civil magistrate. You, if you're going to be born again, if you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to be a disciple of the Messiah, the coming Messiah, then you you got to change your vocations. You got to change your job. That's not what John the Baptist says. He answers without skipping a beat, answers the question and says, oh, yeah, um, the gospel, you can keep your job. You can be a civil magistrate, but you have to do so Christianly. And here's just one example of what that looks like, being content with your wages and not and not um, uh, by the sword exacting, coercing um, uh, more, you know, bribes and, and things like that. So I, I think that's just one more level of when you think of, you know, well, is it just the post mill guys that get you there? Uh, William Wolf, you did a great job just saying like, well, what about if they listen? What if this, and then I'm just going one step further and say, and what about the civil magistrates that already are listening, that are born again, Christians in a, a civil position in our churches as, as good standing members asking us, pastor, what do I do uh, not just in my marriage, not just in my parenting, not just on Sunday. What do I do at my job? That what would Christ have me do at my job? Does He have anything to say from for for what I do forty hours a week? Yeah, there's yeah. something else here too, and and I think like 
like to give to give the G three guys credit, I think they would be able to answer some of the things. What if he listens to you? Like especially when they talk about their work with like abolition and stuff like that, they would they would say a lot of the same things that we would say. But there's another issue here that that you know I'm just wondering about, and I wish they were here to talk about. It. It's like, okay, that's great, but it certainly seems to be to me that that there's a problem with identifying as such. Like if you dedicate your state to the Lord Jesus Christ, you say the things that I'm doing, I'm doing on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore we're going to be doing this, you know, law, whatever it could be. I feel like that's when they would start to break out in hives. Like, whoa, 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 the state's not Christian. What are you talking about? The, the, the state of Georgia is not Christian. What, what do you mean by that? We're not just a Christian state uh, or a Christian nation or a Christian city or, or a Christian anything. Like, it's almost like you can do all the things that 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 a Christian should do. Just like kind of like don't tell anybody about it, which is the super ultra weird part, in my opinion. John, did you have something, Dusty? I was just going to say, I think that these guys would affirm, like A.D. said, the majority of the things that, that we would say, and at least after some of the articles have come out, it seems that they are closer to where we are. Uh, there are a lot of things I think that we could, we could hone in on if we were able to talk with them in person over these matters, um, and hopefully that'll happen soon. Hopefully they can tell by the tone of this conversation that we love these guys, and we're on the same team. We're just trying to refine this discussion that has been lost. We're really recovering a discussion that has been lost uh, from the reformers uh, and the, the starting of this nation and many nations for that matter. And during the, um, the early days of America, yeah. we including, lost including John Gill, the Baptist who preached, uh, you know, a hundred years before Spurgeon in the same church who held it, uh, right, William, didn't you, you posted something about this recently, but he held to both tables of the law being enforced by the civil magistrate. Isn't that right? Yeah. All right, let, let's keep uh, listening to uh, Josh and what he's saying here. And we don't agree on all these really big things, right. or that we might embrace a loser theology. Right. I disagree with that. Absolutely. I, I, actually, I actually reject the idea that that the choices that I have are either uh, Wolf's version of Christian nationalism or some mamby pamby watered down version of a, of a David French version right. of, of Christianity. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's that's not those are not the two options that yeah. are on the yeah. table. And the big difference is what you just articulated, Josh, and that is we believe we ought to stand firm in Absolutely. the public sphere. Yeah. Sphere, we ought to call our governmental leaders to repentance. We ought to tell them, "Kiss the sun, lest you perish in the way." Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to stand against the the denigration that's happening in our society. We agree with that completely, and I believe th- this is this is a really important point to make because we agree on so much. We agree on the problems. We have we grieve over the same denigration of our society, mm-hmm. and we even strongly agree about standing firm and preaching the gospel and also preaching morality to our culture. So there's this there's this large uh, segment of agreement, the disagreements then go beyond that. Yeah, and and the and what we would say is that Christian nationalism wants more than that, yeah. more than just firmly standing for morality in our society. And, and not not only do we believe those things, 
we've demonstrated sure. that we that we've done that yeah. right all along the lines of the issue of, of social justice. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a statement on social justice called leaders uh, within within. Uh, you know, Josh, you spearheaded. Yeah, I mean yeah. that's the irony here. Yeah, and yeah. and in fact, the interesting thing about that is you know we had all sorts of brothers around the table. We were having conversations. I've been hearing people talk about, well, you know, the first time I think I've heard of Christian nationalism is like two years ago. Mm -hmm. And, you know, here we are in 2023 and they're like aiming like back to 2021. Mm -hmm. I would go back to 2018. The very first time that I heard this statement was as we were sitting at the table, we were talking about these things, um, leading up, having conversations. I was hearing the term Christian nationalism Mm -hmm. being used then. Mm -hmm and needing some formation and, you know, specificity of definition, all of that. But that's when I first heard it was Mm -hmm. back then. Mm. And so, uh, again, it wasn't on my radar screen in the sense of the way it is now in a a sort of a movement or, you know, this this popularity that we're seeing today. But, yes, we have not. Can I say something, John? You know, shrink Shrink back. back. Yeah. Let me say something real quick about the statement on uh, social justice in the gospel. Um, so they're saying, you know, Josh spearheaded this. And I, I don't, I mean, I'm not going to call, you know, anybody out, you know, say that, because I, I wasn't there. So I don't know, you know, everything that's truthful. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt that he spearheaded it. I've heard, you know, that, that Tom Askell uh, did a lot of the, the work in the same way that like I came in in the 12th hour, you know, as an editor on our statement, you know, the statement on Christian nationalism in the gospel. But if I said like I spearheaded it, then Dusty right here on the call would be like, whoa, dude, you know, because I, I didn't, you know, Dusty and James Silverman, they, you know, they did um, a lot of a lot of the work, the legwork. So um, all that being said, I don't know who spearheaded it. But one problem I and I remember thinking this all the way back in like in 2020 when, you know, with the statement on Christian national or uh, uh, the statement on social justice and the gospel. And as we were, you know, a lot of guys were coming out against, you know, social justice, social gospel, those kind of I remember thinking the whole time we're going to have a problem. This is going to set off an, uh, like another uh, round of, of fault lines, it, and it's gonna. I, and I didn't know it was gonna be so soon. I thought maybe it'd be ten years, and little did I know it was you know two, three years later. But the reason why I, I predicted, you know, that that this was gonna be a problem is because a lot of the lines of attack uh, with social justice was it's a perversion of the gospel. It's a perversion of the gospel. It's a perversion of the gospel. Now that's that's true. It, or what I should say is it could be true. Some guys. You know who are saying you know are um are you doing the whole gospel okay well right there that's a conflation of law and gospel and so now we are getting into a perversion of the gospel because we're talking the gospel isn't something to do it's it's a pronouncement of what christ has done to be received by grace through faith alone so guys who who were saying you know social justice is the gospel or it's the um that you know the great requirement in addition to the great commission or it's the whole gospel do you believe the whole gospel that's a conflation of works that's the Galatian heresy, right? That's legalism, conflation of works with with grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone. However, the biggest line of attack that I think we should have used is with the whole social justice thing was not just this is a perversion of the gospel or this is another gospel, right? Or or this is, um, you know, whatever. This is the Galatian heresy. This is legalism. For some guys it was because they were conflating it. But for most of the guys, they were they were actually saying, no, this is those who believe the gospel. It's separate, but this is the fruit of the gospel. And we should have just said, no, it's not because it's not justice. Not not just that social justice is not the gospel, but social justice isn't justice. It's not good fruit. 
It's not good works. It takes biblical justice, biblical law, and perverts that. And so, so we went, I, a lot of guys went exclusively with the line of attack being social justice is a perversion of the gospel. I think there should have been, that, that was good, but in addition to that, there should have been more attempts of saying social justice is not only a perversion of the gospel for those who conflate it with a Galatian heresy, but it often is, is merely um, a perversion of the law. Social justice is a perversion of God's law. God's law says this, that justice is impartial, it's proportional, it's swift, right? It's, uh, you know, th there's all these things that God says, these are the criteria for justice. And social justice is the opposite of all those things. Therefore, it doesn't align with God's justice. Therefore, it's not justice. So, so what does that mean? It's a perverse law, not just a perverse gospel for those who conflate it with grace, but it's a perverse law because now the problem the last thing i'll say now the problem that we're facing i think from some some of uh, g3 types i don't know if they're saying this exactly maybe we'll get there but um so i'm not saying josh is saying this or scott but i have seen some g3 kind of reformed baptist types that would be in our orbit um that that I'm, i've noticed their same la line of attack against the christian nationalist camp is the same line against the social justice camp saying well, it's a perversion of the God, right? They want to blur state and church when we're like, no, 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 th these are two separate spheres or they want to blur law and gospel. And we're like, no, 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 we're not saying that Christian nationalism will save the world. The gospel is the only power of God for salvation. Like they're trying yeah. to say it's a perversion of the gospel, whereas we're trying to say, no, there's law and gospel, law and gospel. Social justice was wrong, not merely because it conflated the two, but even when it was distinct from the gospel, it was bad law. It was perverted verse law. Christian nationalism, so long as we keep it distinct from the gospel, is good law. It's biblical law. And that's why it's it's different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, good point. Yeah. And, and I don't know that they've said anything yet. I know, I know in some of the writings and tweets, and I know Owen Strand this morning, apparently at the uh, National Religious Broadcasters, basically made the same point that uh, the threat of Christian nationalism is a threat to the gospel, basically. Right. right. Um, so I know that is floating around out there. So, um, but let, let, let's keep here and listening to what Josh has to say here. No. Right. And you know, crawl up up under pews and just pray, "Come quickly, Lord right, Jesus." Right. That's not our approach to yeah. dealing with problems in the public square. Yeah. We're willing to take stands against abortion and to try to pass bills, uh, you know, that that would basically. Uh, outlaw all abortions in the state of Georgia, which we were leading in that right. charge, to try to figure out ways uh, to even bring about justice for all, right. which yeah. would actually mean that those who engage in abortion are actually going to have to, you know, uh, be punished yeah. as a result of this. It's, so, it's equal protection. Equal right. pro yeah. We want the so, equal protection for the for the lives of the unborn, uh, as we do for those of us who walk around every day. Absolutely. Right. So again, this charge that we have. Or that if you, anyone that stands against this specific form of Christian nationalism um, has a loser theology that should be, you know, in the same equation as Russell Moore and Tim Keller and right. David French, I would wholeheartedly disagree with right. that statement. Yeah. And, yeah. and let's clarify this too, because I think a lot, there are a lot of, there are a lot of Christians out there, they love, they love this country. Yep. They're patriots. And they hear the term Christian nationalist, and they think, oh, that just means Christian patriotism. I believe nations are good. I want the best for my nation. I love my nation over other nations. You know, all of that. And we affirm all of those things, too. Sure. We believe that nation, God has designed nations. Yeah, like, <laughs> go ahead, William. 
that's just not a given, right? Like, I mean, okay, so so let me commend these brothers. First of all, equal protection under the law, Dusty. I don't know why you're not like, you know, popping off poppers. That's fantastic. Like, I love that. We got it. We got it. And, you know, so thankful that our GT bro- G3 brothers are there. And I would argue that's a Christian nationalist position. But then Scott just like really quickly buzzed through like what I've been trying to convince so many people of for the last, I don't know how many years, which is that Christians in America should actually actually love and prioritize America over other nations. And, and that that's not wrong. That's right. That's a right ordering of our loves. You know, we, we love, and I've got a piece coming out tomorrow that translates my, um, my talk at NatCon into an essay where I say America first isn't America forever. It's not America best. It's not America always, but America first is how we as Christians should view our nation. But, but that idea has been so worked against by evangelicals um, for so long, translating like philosophy from people like Karl Popper and honestly, George Soros, that's just true. It's not a conspiracy. It's true. And so I'm glad Scott's there, but I mean, so much of my engagement on Christian nationalism has been to try to get, you know, thousands of other people to be able to reason like Scott Aniel just rightly reasoned. And the problem is that people don't reason like that. So I'm glad Scott does. So Scott's spot on there. So many people aren't. Yeah, absolutely. Nations for a purpose. We believe that that you know, like the the illustration is is commonly given. You know, I love all women, but I love my wife in a special way. Yeah. We believe that about this country. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That 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 sort of small n nationalism. Now there are other things embedded that come later, but that idea that nations are good, that we love this nation, and that we want to work for the best of this nation, we affirm that 100%. Wholeheartedly. In fact, you could not become any more patriotic than I am. Right. I love this nation. I am grateful for this country. I am grateful for our military. I disagree with the woke movement in the military. That's a whole different conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, I am grateful for those who have sacrificed to provide us the freedom that we enjoy. Mm-hmm. I'm for closed borders. Right. I'm for a sovereign nation. Yep. I am pro-America. I believe in America first That because I live here. Right. Um, but I, I am against this idea that we should legislate Christianity. Yep. Mm-hmm at any form or fashion. And so the the conversation that's being developed under the umbrella of Christian nationalism is complicated, but we we can agree on a whole lot of things up to a point. But then I'm when sorry, we start John, getting I have to, to a just point... say one thing really quickly. Well, I can't let that go, right? So you can't legislate Christianity. You cannot legislate the spiritual nature of Christianity. You just you just can't do it. Nobody is arguing that you can't. Here's what you can do. You can legislate Christian morality and something like abolitionism is legislating Christian morality. So that's why our terms need to be very clear and careful. Even I would argue Wolf in his book, which I've, I've read twice now, is very clear. You cannot legislate faith. You can, if we're talking about Christianity, you know, the faith once for all delivered to the saints of the gospel. There's not a single soul out there in the Protestant world that thinks you can legislate that. But you can legislate Christian morality and you should. Right. I will just note one thing quick, too. Uh, it, it sounds like, to me, from what I've been hearing, the first, uh, I don't know, 12 minutes of this podcast has been somewhat defensive of, hey, we're patriots. There's no somewhat. more patriotic than me. <laughs> What's that? I so, said yeah. somewhat defensive. I'm trying to be measured here, AD. Uh, <laughs> That's not how I do it. This is this is the Christian <laughs> extremist show. 
<laughs> you got to put your reasonable Latino, uh, you know, voice on. And so it, it just to me strikes me as defensive. Like, hey, this is what we're not. We're we're patriotic. We love the, this country. We want abortion ended. All of that stuff is good. Um, and then it's it sounds like what, as you pointed out, William, there's straw. There's a straw man. And maybe there's more coming. I don't know. But it, it's. It's like, well, here's the disagreement we have, though. You can't legislate Christianity, but no one's saying that. So I, wouldn't it be funny if at the end of this, <laughs> we all are like, well, I guess we agree. Like, we're all on the same page. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. But I mean, so far, if we stop the video right there, I think we would probably be in general agreement. Real, real quick, even, he, even with the first some, table of the go law, go, I'm sorry, I was going to say with the first table of the law, even if we had Sabbath laws, William's right. Uh, it's not a legislation of faith. So the reformers, like they would argue, you cannot, uh, you, the state cannot legislate a day of worship, right? That, because only the, the regenerate heart, by God, His grace, and through faith alone, will worship the triune God. So it's not legislating a day of worship, but you can legislate a day of rest. You can do like Chick-fil-A for their employees. I understand they're not from a civil place, but in the private business sector, they have determined for all their own franchise owners and all their employees, you will not work on Sunday, right? Chick-fil-A did that. I don't, I, I think that's great. And they're beating out all the other fast food restaurants in terms of revenue. There might be something there. Yeah. AD? No, I, I was just going to say that again, I just have to say that you know, though they would agree with some of the things that we would want, you know, policy-wise, there's still sort of a weird hesitancy to call it Christian. So, you know, you remember Scott at one point had tweeted out, I don't want, you know, legislature or Christian legislators there because I want them to implement Christian laws. I just want them to stop pagans from implementing pagan laws. Well, what's that supposed to mean? Like, it's just yeah. like there's this weird, like, hesitancy to label something Christian. And I just I wonder where that comes from. It's like, no, no, I, I want to end abortion because Christ is king. Why, yeah. why, why be ashamed of that? Why run from that? It's, it's just, it's just the truth. Um, so there's just like a weird. And again, again, if we were in a conversation, we could, we could hash that out and kind of figure out where that comes from. Anyway, yeah. that's all. Yeah. I have. Oh. Where we start talking about, okay, what is the relationship between the church and the state? Mm. And does the, the Christian prince, to use the language that's being put forth by Wolf and others who are using that same language, the civil magistrate, is this individual responsible for just the, the realm of Romans 13 with a hand upon the sword to punish who? The evildoers, so that those who are actually law-abiding citizens would not have anything to fear. Is that his jurisdiction? Or... Does he also have at least some finger or hand upon the keys as well? And so certain language that's being put forth with this idea of, quote-unquote, leading uh, his people to the gates of eternal salvation, mm. it, it just makes me a little uncomfortable. In fact, it makes me very uncomfortable because I know church history. And yep. as a Baptist, I don't have a complex, by the way. I've heard people say right. Baptists live with this this complex that they've walked through yeah, persecution and that they're just a persecuted people and a, a woe is me mentality. No, I actually have a very optimistic view because I've read the end of the book mm -hmm. and I know who wins. In fact, I know who's presently now seated upon his throne. Mm -hmm. And so one of these days, Christ will return. 
And every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I am not living in fear. I walk forward with great confidence every day to preach the gospel, embrace the sovereignty of God, sow the seed, water the seed. God gives the increase. Um, but again, this idea that there's this, this overlap at some level with the civil magistrate with regard to the, the church makes no. me uncomfortable because I know what happened to John Rogers in 1555 mm -hmm. at Smithfield. I know what happened to John Bunyan with the Puritans uh, in Bedford, England. Mm -hmm. I know what happened to Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley and the Oxford martyrs in the streets of Oxford. I know what happened you know, to you know, all these people throughout church history when you start looking at how the state church relationship is conflated and then really the question becomes at this point who gets to determine what version of christianity is christianity yep. yeah that, that's let me let me stop it there because he made a pretty big point and i just want to see if any of you want to respond to what you just heard uh i went to a baptist seminary and i'll be honest the, some of the people that i learned from were obsessed with this <laughs> they they really did have a persecution complex and uh <laughs> I've heard some strange things come out of the mouths of Baptists on this whole issue. The most recent one was at a conference where someone stood up and said Thomas Jefferson got all his ideas from Baptists about freedom of religion and freedom of conscience and, and like no source for any of it. But um, anyway, uh, I, I just wanted to say that because I lived it. Uh, but I want to hear what you guys have to say about um, you know, this argument that it, there's an overlap. Well, the thing is, we we we. It, like a, a couple months ago, we knew how to do this. Like there's overlap all over the place. So, you know, if, if you know, murder is a crime, it's also a sin. We understand that that, you know, families deal with that in the family way. The church deals with that. And according to the church and the state deals with that separately. What's the what's the mystery here? I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm failing to understand this because I know he thinks this is like a, you know, knockdown, you know, amazing point. But really, it isn't. I mean, we deal with this overlap all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think. Okay. So let me. Um, <laughs> so let's engage what they said, John, because I know I know exactly what you're talking about in Baptist circles. But let's take Josh at his word. Be charitable. Like he's not living in fear. Okay. Right. He's not. He's not. He's not worrying. It. He's not. He doesn't have a persecution complex. And you know what? I do think. I do think that these guys. These guys definitely have sounded a different note than than uh, some other folks on that who do sound like they have a persecution complex, and these guys don't. So let's give them that. Um, but then I say that when and, and when Josh says it makes him uncomfortable, the idea that the magistrate reaches over to the keys, like, hey, man, I agree with him on that. Like bring in Dikembe Mutombo, like, no, 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 don't touch those keys. That's not your job. But again, we have to think about what are the keys for, right? The keys are for gospel professions. And again, this is sort of like a categorical blur when he goes from saying, well, who's deciding what is true Christianity well, okay. Well, the adjudication of what counts as true religion is a fundamentally different question than the exercise of the keys, which is, you know, affirming or denying a gospel profession within the context of a local church, right? So, like, if a if a group started claiming that they're Christians, and that their Christian faith means that they need to be able to slaughter, this is just going to be extreme example here. They need to be able to sacrifice five year olds in their church service. I would really hope that our government officials would be able to say that's not Christianity. 
and that doesn't count. So again, like AD said, like there is we there is overlap. The you know the state tells the church you have to have certain building codes or you have to close for this or not for that, right? So like even though we believe in sphere sovereignty, even though we believe that the state has the sword and the church has the keys, um, you know there there is overlap here. We have to think clearly. And, you know, we not everything that claims Christianity, not everything that claims to be a religion. We recognize this. Satanism isn't, you know, fundamentally a religion protected by the First Amendment the way that Christianity is. And that's a good thing. And the state should be able to make that sort of adjudicating decision. And that is not encroaching upon the keys. So we're we're talking about the use of authority under God. I think the, the right way to approach this conversation is not to start from the ground level, start from humanity, but start from the level of God. You start from the very top and you say, what, where do we derive from? Where do we derive authority? And you say, well, of course, it's from God. Well, who derives authority? Well, you, you look in the scriptures and you see that God gives authority to parents in the home. He gives authority to elders and uh, members in the church, and he gives authority to civil authorities in the civil sphere. So if you start from the top, then you say, well, what is the purpose of civil government? If you look into that civil sphere, and you have to say that the purpose of civil government is to establish justice for God's glory and the good of all people. When we start there, then we, I think it helps us to to not shy away from saying, all authority is delegated from God and all authorities must be in submission to God. Now, where do we find how we're in submission? You look to his word and you can look to general revelation or the moral law that's written on the heart as well. They both confirm each other. But I think what, what we constantly see in this conversation is we're starting on the ground level as though there's a, a blank slate that's not the place to start. The place to start is with with God being the sovereign, and in Christ, He is the essential sovereign over all. He was uh, after His resurrection; He was seated at the right hand of the Father over every authority in heaven and on earth, and every one that's named. And now He is mediating His authority on earth by the the authorities that He has delegated. One of the things that uh, that was said in this particular section of the clip was that they, they just get really leery of, of the use of authority in the civil sphere. Well, look, we should be leery of authority, period. I mean, that's what our founders were saying, why they put in so many checks and balances. We should always be suspect of authority, but it doesn't rule out the fact that there will be authority, that there will be rule. These are uh, inescapable realities. We need to then look to God's word as the foundation and the, the directives for how we rule. And when we do that, we don't have to be afraid of the fact that there are spheres or the fact that there's authority. We have to do it rightly, but we shouldn't be afraid of the fact of it. Uh, the fact that it's going to be wielded wrong, well, that's, that's a given. There's sin in the world. I willed it wrong as a parent. Uh, elders have have difficulties in the in their leadership, and the state will too. But we need to use the word of God to put the parameters around authority, and that's I think that's the standard. Dusty, you said something interesting that someone in the chat and I can't find it now <laughs> that I, I was thinking of displaying it. 
uh, asked about families. That What about a father and a family? Don't they have to wield authority? Are they going to do it in a Christian way? And um, William, going back to your comment about Baptists in general, I, I have obviously a frustration because of other people, not the G3 guys. But um, there, even with the G3 guys, though, you see this kind of um, mentality that as Baptists, we should be very afraid if there's any kind of establishment of religion or even something um, that's, that's not as aggressive as that, but there's a religious blending of some kind, because that, that means we're all going to get persecuted somehow. And it, and it just, I think what you were saying, Dusty, is so true that authority is, is going to be there no matter what. So it's, it's not like there's a blank slate where they're neutral and principal pluralism works or something. It, there's going to be exactly. a pagan in there. There's going to be a Christian in there. And are we going to take our oath on the Bible like we have for the entirety of our history? Or is it going to, are we going to take an oath at all? Or are we going to have an invocation or, or not? Is it in God we trust? Or, I mean, all these questions. So um, anyway. Yeah, is it yeah, going to be in God it's, we it's trust amazing. or in gay yeah. we trust, right? Like that's no, it, kind it, of the question but, facing but you see, us but you right see, now. William, they jump all over you for that because it's like, well, I'm not going to accept the dynamic where it's either Christian nationalism or, you know, man be, pan be, whatever. But, but what, when you hear Josh say something like this, what's the alternative? Who, yeah. Like, like, like he, he puts this forward like there's some kind of like neutral alternative. There is no neutral alternative. So it's like which 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 uh, church decides, you know, who's in charge? Well, who's doing it right now? I mean, what what, what is this mythical alternative that that is like this ideal? That's yeah. why well, we're actually, here where, we, where we're at right now. <laughs> well, let me push back. on Let me let me push back on ID there just a tad bit. Like I would say that. I would say that the alternative coming out of the Reformation and, the, you know, breaking free from the Holy Roman Empire and from, in many ways, the tyranny of the Catholic Church over, you know, you know, strict control of anybody's religion. And that even took time. Right. Is like what we see in the American in the American experiment is 100%. where there is, you know, we have a constitutional system of law that doesn't 100%. establish, you know, an explicit religion and gives a freedom for churches to operate. And yet we found it. This this is sort of my quip on this whole thing with Christian nationalism in America is Christian nationalism is an effort to enshrine what was assumed at the American founding. That's right. And yeah, obviously right. what was assumed right. at the American founding is no longer being assumed and perpetuated in our society. However, I do like how Douglas Wilson makes this point, which is that, hey, man, it shouldn't be hard for us to admit that these guys got it wrong. Right. So, like, you know, when Felix Mance is being drowned for his newfound Baptist convictions, that is, as Dusty mentioned, we'll call it this. That's an abuse of authority. That's an abuse of ecclesial and civil authority. And so we should wholeheartedly agree with our G3 brothers when they raise these legitimate concerns from church history in the way that authority has been abused to persecute certain genuine Christian believers for their differences in baptismal theology or anything like that. We should just very clearly say, hey, I agree with you 100%. That was an abuse of authority. And that's not what we're envisioning. And those magistrates were ruling wrongly when they did that. Yeah, look, during COVID in, in 2020, uh, Baptists, especially Baptists, really quickly learned that we had forgotten our history. And our history in the 1689 and in our Baptist catechisms and, and, and otherwise, all the answers were there. You know, and what they were telling us is that, look, there's no neutrality and bad theology hurts people in churches and it, and it hurts people in the home, but bad laws hurt people too. And bad law is going to come whenever you try to separate your government from 
God, which is an impossibility anyway. So you might as well choose the God of creation or be judged for it. And then you'll eventually come around to it anyway, because Christ is king. He's going to rule. He will have every knee bowing before him in heaven and on earth. Right. It's, the, well, it's like who, who, who decides? Well, it's the same people that decided that Vermont was going to put Jesus Christ in their constitution. It's the same people in Maryland who decided what, what, you know, who was in charge. It's like we, we knew how to do this before. We have an example of this. Um, and so this, it's not a mystery like who decides. This is it's it, it, it's 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 treated like this is like this 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 knockdown defeater. But it's like you just got to read your history book a little bit. Right. Ryan McKeon in the chat here, who I recognize that name from Twitter, he was, he's saying that, you know, a constitutional republic is, is a good system and we don't need to just like abandon it. And I I I agree. It's a it's a great system. One, when the Constitution is actually enforced and it it means what it's supposed to mean and we don't live in a post constitutional age. 100%. Um, uh, and so I think I think that's right. But even in a constitutional republic, you could have some more explicit Christian uh, Christian Definitely. commitments to the morality of the land. And then also, John, even back to like the question of an establishment of a religion, you know, you could, I could envision, and so much of this is theory and people have a hard time with theory because theory is in practice, but okay, blue skies with me envision uh, a country where there's an establishment of religion, say England, but they don't persecute people who aren't part of that establishment, right? So like to persecute those who's, who aren't part of the establishment is a wrong exercise of the authority thereof. I mean, I could envision a land where there is an established version of Christianity, and yet there's no persecution happening. I'm not advocating for that, but I'm saying I can at least imagine it. And because I can imagine it, you know, again, gets the question of how authority is used, not whether authority exists. Yeah, you know, I, I think I a lack of, of imagination is a, is a big problem that we have. Like, you, you can't imagine that. Like, why not? Well, because of history. Well, I mean, <laughs> you yeah. know, you could say that about anything. <laughs> imagine telling that to the people I, getting on the mayflower yeah right right <laughs> i had a point but i feel like we should we're not going to get through this whole thing <laughs> we should uh probably keep playing here it's a big that's a big point and and you you try to there, there's not a lot of specificity for for example in wolf's book on that question and you start pressing these advocates for christian nationalism and and they don't give an answer like who who gets to decide uh if you know, I've heard people say, well, we, we want a standard where you have to be a Christian in order to serve in public office. Okay, but who gets to determine what those qualities are? Because frankly, here, here's a point. Uh, every, president, every U.S. president in my lifetime has claimed to be a Christian. Yeah. So who gets to decide? Now, we all would say Biden is no Bible-believing Christian, but who gets to decide that? <laughs> and that, that's where, where you get this conf- conflating of church and state. There, there's got to be some sort of then church council that approves who gets in and who gets out. Yeah. How, do, how do we work those yeah. things out? It sounds there, like people need no some church discipline. There's no actual answers to those sorts of questions. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Before we even get there, I want to go back. That is the churches need to need to decide that. And, you know, there's a b- bishop. I wrote an article on this. I called it the, the base bishop of San Diego denies communion to Nancy Pelosi. And that happened, right? Like whoever, you know, I think Biden's a Catholic. So, like, he should absolutely be excommunicated communicated right i mean that's mm-hmm. that's that's not the role like the u.s congress should not excommunicate biden now that would be problematic if they tried to do it i would object to that but Look, biden is, should be subject to discipline sure yeah and g3 these guys rightly want strong churches they want biblical churches and i think they want regenerate churches meaningful membership however you want to talk about it they have proven that that's what they want and in those kind, we want more of those churches. 
We want the gospel to go out. We want the ordinances to be rightly administered. We want the gospel to be preached expositionally. Uh, we want the gospel to be clear in those pulpits. And whenever that is happening in pulpits, the, the interplay between the church and the civil sphere is beautiful. It's harmonious. And they work together. Uh, and, and you've got churches actually keeping the Lord's Supper or even baptism from people who are false converts or uh, in, in unrepentant sin perpetually. Uh, and, and I said this on the, the steps of the uh, Oklahoma State Capitol a couple of years ago. There are uh, laws to murder babies are written in every state capital. They say when, where, how they can murder children. And they, these legislators are pro-life and they go to churches in all these states. And the problem is not, not first the legislators. The problem is that these churches are not holding them accountable and keeping them from the Lord's Supper. They're not keeping the Lord's Supper. They're giving them this false sense of, sense of security. So we've got to have stronger churches. Yeah, we've got to have revival. Yes, but there will be a, a harmonious interplay once some of that starts to take place. Let, let me say this real quick. I think a lot of guys, I, I said it like this on Twitter, it's the simplest way I can say it, and it's what you guys are saying, just to sum it up. Um, nominal Christianity, nominal Christian culture, all the things that we're sick of is the fruit. It is not the fruit of a faithful state, but a faithless church. Not it, Nominal Christianity, Christian in name only, Right is not the fruit of a faith of faithful civil magistrates, but faithless churches, and I think that's part of the rub. That that if I was talking to G three right now, if I was talking to Josh, I would say, give give me the biblical support for why a faithful state necessitates faithless churches. That's what I would want to understand. Because everything they're worried about in that last clip that we just listened to and everything you guys are commentating on right now is um, all of that is shored up by just having healthy churches. And so what, what makes a faithful state necessitate faithless churches? I don't see that. I don't see that relationship. Yeah. I, I, what's up? Cultural so Christianity isn't the... the... Sign. <laughs> what, what does it say? I can't read it. Cultural Christianity isn't the problem casual church membership is. I wrote this over a year Amen. ago. Amen. Good job. You know? Well done. Well done. Uh, Earl Starbuck, I, I have to show this because he, he's a super chat. He paid $20. Uh, thank you, Earl. Uh, how broad are the differences uh, federalism can embrace? For example, Tennessee has banned transitioning kids as abuse. Washington State is forcing parents to give gender-affirming care or lose kids. Secession, national divorce. Man, that's going to get us into a whole nother uh, rabbit trail. Um, I mean, look, I'll just say this, these outside the box, uh, they didn't used to be as much, but now these outside the box remedies are being considered again by some people who call themselves Christian nationalists, just like the Christian Prince idea. And, and, and to, to make this analogy, I think easy for everyone. I don't know if you guys agree with this, but if you look, take it to a family level and it makes more sense. If you had a family that was completely dysfunctional, let's say uh, one of the spouses is off the rails lets the kids do whatever they want. The kids are misbehaving, irresponsible. Um, maybe you could remember a time back in the day when the family was functioning correctly and everything seemed to, to be going pretty well. Yeah, you had your problems, but you're able to work them out. Boundaries existed, but you didn't need a lot of boundaries because people were responsible. But as time has gone on, 
and irresponsibility has crept in. The family is now dysfunctional completely. Um, what do you do in that case? What's the solution? And, and I think Christian, a lot of the people who call themselves Christian nationalists are more sympathetic to solutions that would be like, well, it looks like we're going to have to have the Christian prince come in and like set some boundaries because people can't limit themselves. Self-government's gone. I guess we're going to have to impose some limits. Um, I guess we're going to have to have a national divorce. We can't live with those people if they're making, you know, decisions that are we, we find to be absolutely evil and using our money to carry out that evil. Uh, so, you know, I'm for some of these outside the box solutions. I don't know if anyone else has something briefly to say to that comment. Well, I would say, you know, as a student of American history as well, that that, you know, our founding fathers previewed for this previewed this for us in so many ways. Everyone loves that. You know, that quote, you know, like, uh, you know, a republic, if you can keep it or our system of government was made for, you know, holy moral people and it's unfitting for anyone else. I mean, there's like there's like 10 different variations of that from a variety of different founding fathers. So people love that. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, are we maybe hitting some of the limits of this? And to even consider that we are as a sudden become like a grave sin. Like, I mean, our, our, our friend Josh Abatoy is getting absolutely roasted today for proposing that we might need a, a Protestant Franco, which I get the point he's making. Um, but, you know, there are limits to federalism, right? There are limits to our federal system. But I, I would argue that what we're seeing in rogue states is a real abandonment of the Constitution. And so the, the federal government should appropriately bring rogue states when they when they are abandoning constitution breaking the natural law slaughtering and slaughtering their kids and transing their their children like you know something should be done about that so i i wouldn't say i wouldn't immediately run to national divorce per se but i would say that we need the political will to to you know to stop the great moral evils that are happening in some states and not others yeah our constitution has those uh those oaths built in. Every state is supposed to exercise their authority constitutionally, and, and our nation is as well. But this really can get as atomistic as the citizens have responsibilities as carrying an oath as citizens. We have a constitution that actually works fairly well alongside uh, the law of God in a lot of senses. Uh, to actually deal with each state's or our nation's greatest evils. And that's really where we, where we need to uh, go to establish justice and promote each state and each nation's or this nation's thriving. So I would say some of the, the goals for those states, and you have to take the, the, the hard biblical line. Unfortunately, it looks like a hard line because we're so, uh, we've, we've, we've gone into so much judgment but at one time, it didn't seem like a hard line to say, you know what, homosexuality should be illegal. Uh, sodomy should be illegal. But now it's just such a given in so many places that you'll uh, have at Target uh, men, men having tuck bathing suits right at the front door. You know, my one of our church members walked into a Target in our buckle of the Bible Belt, Lawton, Oklahoma, and right at the very front is a bathing suit for men. It's a one. It's a, a one piece with so that he can tuck his junk. Now, who's going to deal with that? Every church should be rising up. Pulpits should be rising up. We should be telling our civil authorities, "Look, here's a great evil because 
what that great evil entails is this whole genre of of serpentine theocracy. It's another theocracy from the devil, and we have to confront it with the gospel, but we also have to call these civil magistrates. If you won't legislate according to God's word, then you should not be, have the right to call yourself a Christian, and we're not going to, to give you the supper if you will not repent. Mm-hmm. Well, the civil magistrate should yank Target's business license tomorrow and send the local PD to keep the store shut until right. they quit peddling their disgusting trans agenda and perverting the population there. That's what a righteous, just magistrate yeah. should do in a situation like that. Yeah. Good, good points, guys. I, I want to keep playing this unless you have a quick comment. No, go ahead. Go ahead. To something that that you said, Josh, which is, you know, the, the issue of of, of the of, of nations, nationalism. Are, are we unpatriotic? Are we not? Uh, are we not for America? Well, the, the reality is, we we have been, are, and we've demonstrated that. Uh, I'm someone who's who's worn the uniform of this country. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've spent 12 years of of my life committing myself to uh, being willing to put myself in harm's way to defend the Constitution of the United States. I did that with great pride. Yeah. Uh, there there was no shrinking back. No, you know, woe is me or or this America. I can't stand for this America. I did it under. Under presidents I agreed with, I did it under presidents I disagreed with. Right, I, I served under under Clinton uh, as well as uh, under under um, uh, who was it? Uh, Bush, Bush the first, and 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 on the backside, uh, the, uh, w. It sounds I, like they, a king designation. They Bush, got king Bush de- the first. Bush the first. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the first Bush, the second Bush. <laughs> um, it's one of those things where I, I reject the idea that we aren't patriotic or yeah. that we mm-hmm. or that we're weak on the idea of of a nation or a nation state or borders or those kinds of things where we would put uh, America first. Uh, as it relates to the issue of, of the evangelical uh, wars that we've had to face uh, regarding wokeism, because wokeism didn't just stay outside the church, it entered the church. Right. Uh, and we had to deal with that and address those issues. Um, when I thought about what I wanted to do with the, with the back half of my life uh, in coming to G3, my thought process was I want to spend the rest of my remaining days that, that, that God gives me by His grace working toward, arming toward, educating, encouraging, and equipping a local churches. And seeing God's glory made manifest in the people of God everywhere that this ministry would touch. Mm. Uh, As such, I didn't come here thinking, oh, there's a political aim. I can't wait for us to enter politics so that we can can shape the culture. Uh, My thought was, I can't wait to be part of a prophetic ministry willing to stand up for truth, declare that truth, speak that truth in, in a way that impacts culture uh, so that we can see God's glory made manifest. Yeah. Did you just admit that you're over the hill? No, not at all. I was going to say, you're in the back, back half of your life? <laughs> well, hey, I, I'll take that, right? <laughs> we'll, we'll, see, we'll see what that looks like. But listen, I'm, I'm prayerful for, for 30, 40, 50 more years oh, of ministry. Oh, okay, I got you. All right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, yeah. You. I'm hopeful okay. for that. But. No, I agree with you, Virgil. Um, you know... <laughs> Not with that part, but um, I, I agree with you in the sense of, you know, look, G3 consistently aims at strengthening local churches. And so what does that look like? Well, that means that there are going to be times when we're going to have to take unpopular stands. I feel like I need to take a vote, guys. Does anyone vote to skip like 10 minutes into this? Because Sure. Yeah, it, I feel like we got to. I, yeah. I, I don't I don't know. Even what. 1.25. Like, Speed uh, I don't know if I can do that. Um, I wish I could. I don't think I can in this particular format. But um, 
I want to hear things in context, but this is just uh, we've been listening to this for almost 20 minutes. And so far, it's just been what G3 is about and defending mostly defending G3 and their Patriots. How much longer is it, John? Oh, How it's really time? long. It's like an hour. So let, let's Ooh. let's yeah. just drop in at 30 minutes. Let's see what's going on. All here. Right, yeah. Well, you know, I, I really am encouraged by by so much of of, you know, what they are iterating and like for Scott to defend nationalism, not just patriotism. I mean, I, again, I just want to say that's great. Like, good to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. Someone's saying that I can do two two X speed. Violet is saying that I can do to that. So I'm going to work on that. But let's just drop in. Uh, let's see. 30 minutes and see what they're saying. This actually aids in leading them to faith. Yeah, it influences them. Influences them. But there again, you have to look at at well both scripture and history. And Josh, you brought up history. I mean that the Edwards example is a perfect example. Why was there even a need for a great awakening that close to the reality of Christendom? Yeah. It was because you had churches filled with people who were told they were Christians, who were who were welcomed into the covenant without a personal profession of faith in Christ. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, that's what we're after. Yeah. We want to see people come to faith in Christ and then absolutely actively live out committed Christianity in every aspect of life. All of Christ for all of life. Yeah. Amen. Right. Yeah, amen to that. One of the things that I that I hear is you guys are articulating kind of the positions, the thought processes, that, even the quick. differences yeah. that... Let William say something. I want to say something to you. And then, Go, I'll be quick, Joel. And that is, I actually... Jonathan Edwards, Halfway Covenant, Puritan New England. Right. The problem was crummy church practices. Mm-hmm. The problem mm-hmm. wasn't the state pretending people were Christians who weren't Christians. The problem was the church decided to pretend that people were Christians who weren't Christians. You know, and um, we're not asking the state to make an adjudication of somebody's profession at all. We don't want that. And uh, again, I would argue you could grow up in a quote unquote Christian nation. And it should be very clear to you that you're not a Christian just by your citizenship or by osmosis. I mean, again, we, we raise people in Christians' family. And I share my testimony recently. I was explaining to somebody, despite the fact that I grew up in a Christian household, went was homeschooled, Christian high school, Christian college, wasn't a Christian. But when I was finally confronted with the gospel in such a way that the Lord ultimately used it to bring me to saving faith, it was through a, a, a pastor pointing at the Bible. And you know what? I believe that the Bible is God's word because of the culture I grew up in even though I, I hadn't been saved yet, it prepared me to accept it. So again, bad church practices, not governmental practices. Joel, over to you. Yeah, yeah that was great. Um, my boy, Michael Lance, I keep seeing him. He's like, did, did Scott just steal the tagline from uh, Canon Press, All of Christ for All of Life? Yes, he did, 100%. Which, in Scott's defense, he did it with a little bit of a, a smirk, a little bit of a smile. So he, you know, I think, I, I think he was, you know, subliminally giving, you know, giving props to doug wilson but all that being said yeah it's it's faithless uh state isn't the problem faithless church is the problem so i i as i'm watching this like so far what we've gotten into so much of what i've seen from g3 whether it be in twitter land or whether it be in this podcast or whether it be a couple of the articles that these are such easily it, it frustrates me that such easily answered arguments right so sacralism or or you know abuses from the state you know against baptists or whatever we that are arguing exist. for a theocracy not ecclesiocracy ecclesiocracy is a church-run state right the protestant pope kind of thing that there are that's a church-run state we are arguing for a theocracy which is a christ-run state now everything is not whether but which 
every government is a theocracy. There is a God above it. If no other God is above it, then the state is God. Statism is the religion, and that is a religion. So it's not whether but which. There will be a religion. There will be a God. We, we believe in the separation of church and state. We do not believe in the separation of Christ and state. So theocracy, not ecclesiocracy, and faithless state— doesn't um is not the problem it's faithless churches so much of what they're arguing about it's funny because they're, they're arguing against christian nationalism but all i hear them arguing against is billy graham all i hear them arguing against is 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 bad churches i've yet to hear a legitimate argument for why the state shouldn't be faithful and christian all right let's keep playing you have with say you know a Presbyterian uh, a form of, I don't want to say government, a Presbyterian approach uh, to discipleship as opposed to a Baptist approach in, in, in that vein. Those are two different ideas. They're going to they're gonna unpack scripture and their scriptural basis for that. We're going to attempt to do the same. I think that's a friendly conversation. Absolutely. I think the difference is with when you examine uh, Stephen Wolf's book is it's devoid of scripture. Mm -hmm. right? What he is pulling from is, uh, is historical uh, philosophy on politics uh, rather than the theology of scripture. And, and, and that's where the differences are. That's why in, in, as I read this, it's easy for me to see the great differences between what Wolf is positing and perhaps maybe what what what's, what's, uh, what what a James White would say about this issue. Sure, his push is more toward hey, at, at least as I've listened to to James, his thing is this is going to happen through a, a revival. This is yeah. going to happen through that kind of thing. Well, his approach mimics ours in that we're saying the same things as it relates to transformation happening from the inside. Yeah out yeah. rather than a transformation that we're trying to install mm. from the outside in. So ours is more gospel-focused, gospel-centered. Okay. All right, William, I know I All see right, your so, hand. Yeah, because a couple of folks in the chat, like one guy was saying, like, so where's the difference? All right, so here's the difference, right? Here, here's one of the differences, which is that Christian nationalism is arguing for a both-and approach, which says that we absolutely pray for revival, and we want to see... You know, we want to see hearts changed, lives changed, you know, you know, that that sort of yeast to spread through the nation. Yet at the same time, again, to bring us back to the beginning point of this conversation, whether there's revival or not, our laws should be just. And because we know that the law is a teacher that we can act, we can yes. ask for we can ask for the laws to be transformed. Virgil's using the word transformation. So yeah, you know what? Our our society has been significantly transformed by the acceptance and proliferation of horribly wicked and unjust laws. That wasn't just because all of a sudden there were less Christians in society. That's because we legalized, you know, Roe v. Wade, because we legalized Obergefell, because we, you know, we've let all sorts of morals slip all over the place. And so I do not see why they have to be pitted against each other. The idea, you know, some people like to use bottom up or top down. I'm saying all of the above, you know, let's get Christian laws on the books even if not a single other person in the United States of America ever becomes a Christian. But I trust that they will because God is working, the gospel is going forth. And so why people are saved, let's get good laws at the same time. And that, I think, is one of the differences between us and G3. All right. Gospel proclamation, be a prophetic voice in the culture, in the public square, unashamedly, flat-footed, uh, you know, straight-eyed, clear-eyed about what we're saying, uh, rather than this, hey, we've got this... 500-page volume of, of political theory 
that we think would work good, and we're going to put the Christian nationalism label on the yeah. top, and then and then foist it upon yeah. uh, upon culture. Yeah. This is an important point, and, and emphasizing Scripture too is an important point. I mean, one of my really the, my primary objection to this Christian nationalism proposal is that you know the idea of rebuilding Christendom uh, uh, or establishing Christianity as the you know. You know, for some people, just the dominant religion of our nation. Maybe we allow other religions, but Christianity is the established religion. Uh, the, my primary criticism is I don't see any hint of that in the New Testament. Right. There's no hint of of Christian nationalism. There is a strong emphasis on living holy lives. There's a strong emphasis on being active in the public square, raising godly children, proclaiming the gospel for the glory of Christ. But but you don't find any hint of this idea of of building Christian nations or 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 conglomerations of nations into Christendom uh, that we find in history or that is being proposed in Wolf's book or even some of these other uh, arguments. You just you you don't find it. What you find is an emphasis on Christian faithfulness. Mm-hmm. And again, the Christian nationalists agree with us on that. They want Christian faithfulness. We want Christian faithfulness. We're in agreement on that. But this idea of building Christendom or establishing Christian nations, that's what I just don't see any, yeah. any argument. I understand the theological argument, for instance, of yeah. postmillennialism or even Wolf's sort of philosophical theological arguments, you know, these arguments that, well, you know, the government has been tasked by God for the good of humanity, and we know that what will be best for humanity is Christianity. Therefore, the government ought to establish Christianity. I understand the logic of the argument. Right. The question is, where do we find that in the pages of yeah. Scripture, particularly in the Scripture that gives us our, our marching orders right. as the New Testament church? Yeah. You just don't. I'm going to stop it there, guys. I'm sure one of you wants to probably wait. You, you, you ba- this sounds like a Baptist hermeneutics thing. You you need to handle this one. I can't do this. One. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I don't mind taking. A, that's all I'm going to say. I don't mind taking a shot. And I want to give you guys more of an opportunity to talk, though. Uh, Dusty, you're Baptist. William, you're Baptist. Yeah. So uh, there's a Joel Baptist a, too. Let's not forget we we own yeah. Joel and we're keeping Joel. Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. I, you know, I keep. Thinking that Joel's Presbyterian, Joel. I don't know how, what you think of that. If, if that's a compliment or not, uh, but uh, yeah, about half of people think I'm Presbyterian. I am a 16. I know you're. I, I know you're not. But I, yeah. I, for some reason in my head, I'm like, oh yeah, like Joel Webb and Doug Wilson. Or, or <laughs> <anyway>. <laughs> yeah, because the Presbyterians are are less aggravating than the Baptists. Not you, Baptists. <laughs> but uh, yeah. hence, why, hence why we're doing this podcast. So go ahead. Let me just say a few things. Uh, one, I think. Virgil's reading of Stephen Wolf uh, not being uh, biblical, I don't think it's fair. He says in his book that he is not, uh, that he's going to assume the Reformed tradition. So what he's assuming there and he's arguing from is a very vast wealth of biblical argumentation. He's not, he's not going to give you a biblical theology of Christian nationalism. He assumes that from the reformers and from the Puritans. Okay, he starts there from even Westminster and from the the Westminster uh, shorter and longer catechisms. He starts there and assumes that people will be able to follow him in the philosophical side. So I look, I think I don't think that's fair to Stephen. Uh, I'm not a I'm not going to be an apologist for Stephen, but I I will try to represent the truth. 
Um, so that's the first thing. Uh, whenever it comes to Baptists uh, being able to uh, participate in the Christian nationalist space, look, I think Baptists are most capable of communicating in that space because of this. Uh, look, Presbyterians have a, a mixed community view of the church. They have a, a view that says, well, we're going to bring the children in and we, we, uh, I'm not going to get into uh, public, I mean, uh, Presbyterian theology, but they have a mixed communi community aspect. Baptists look at the distinction of the church as a very, uh, those who are in Christ and the world. So of all people, Baptists should be able to say, we are going to clearly define the spheres. The sphere of the church is for Christians, for believers, and we only give them baptism in the Lord's Supper. But it should make that line of the civil sphere more clear and not, not in a pietistic sense where God only cares about the church and he cares about the home, but he doesn't care what's, what the civil sphere is. And that's, that's Baptists should have that even more clear than anybody else because we are clear, I think, more clear on not having a mixed community. And along those lines, just one second, Joel. No, no, keep going. I'm sorry. I was just... Put my place in there. Yeah. Uh, along those lines, Baptists should be discipling all their members and especially, well, all their members. Do your work heartily as unto the Lord. Now, who does that entail? Well, that entails mothers. That entails shop owners. That entails podcasters. That entails civil magistrates and mayors. Do your work heartily as unto the Lord. Well, where do I go to know what how God would have me work? heartily will go to the scriptures and they should be discipling the civil sphere to do that very thing uh and so now where do we find that well you can look in the great commission actually the great commission tells you baptize go preach the gospel make disciples baptize them and then what do you do you just leave them there no you teach them to observe or obey everything that Christ commanded. Well, what has Christ commanded? Well, he commands how how all authority is to be used under his jurisdiction. He has all jurisdiction. And then these other jurisdictions, he says, Romans 13, 1, let every person be subject to governing authorities. There's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. And how are those rulers supposed to do their work? As servants of God. They are to be servants. They're to be a terror to, to the wicked uh, and an avenger of the good. And they are to give proportional punishments to those wicked. And there are numerous places where we see in the New Testament what each person is supposed to do in their particular station in life. Mm -hmm. Yep. Go ahead, go John. For it, Joel. Uh, I was just going to say, yeah, Paul talks about that. And, and arguably, you know, or admittedly, uh, in First Corinthians chapter 7, he's talking about it in the context of uh, marriage, um, a Christian being married to an unbeliever. Um, but the, the principle uh, very clearly can be stretched and applied you know, further out than just marriage. He says, each man should remain in the station that he was in when the Lord called him. And that goes back to, you know, the point I made earlier about when the, you know, Roman soldiers came to John the Baptist and said, what do we do now that, now that we're going to be, you know, followers of Yahweh, followers of Christ? Um, I guess we, you know, we quit being civil magistrates. And he's like, no, you be Christian 
civil magistrates. Um, and so in the same way, each man should remain in the station with, you know, that he was in when the Lord called him. Uh, that applies to marriage. That applies to being married to an unbelieving spouse. That also applies to vocation. And it certainly applies to the vocation of being a civil magistrate. All of Christ for all of life. I think one of the things that we forget in our hermeneutics, right? So, and it's funny because G3, they're cessationist, and, and so am I. Um, but it's funny that, uh, you know, the cessationist would be real quick with 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to say, hey, all scripture is for you, not all scripture is to you. Well, I would just want to repeat that. I would just want to say, okay, so you can't see anything in the New Testament that says, you know, hey, we should have a theocracy and all, you know, Christian nation. Well, first, <laughs> uh, first, I, I do see that in 1 Corinthians 15. And that, that is me being, you know, post-millennial, right? That all his enemies will be, he must reign, not he will reign eventually. So, uh, so I do see that. I see it in Isaiah 2. I see it in Daniel 2. I see it in Isaiah 65. I see it, in, you know, all throughout the Old Testament, but I also see it, you know, confirmed in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, that nations, and I see it in, like you said, Dusty, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, baptizing nations. So I do see it in the New Testament, certainly in the Old, uh, but eschatology aside, all Scripture is for us, not all Scripture is to us. So when Paul's telling, for instance, uh, 1 Corinthians you know, 12, but also 1 Corinthians 14, when he's saying, this is how tongues and prophecy should go down in the church, and this is why you should rather prophesy than speak with the tongue, um, you know, if if for those of us who are cessationists like G3, we can look at that and he says, you know, eagerly desire all spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. All right, well, Josh and Scott and Virgil, you're in sin, guys. Uh, Paul says explicitly in the scripture, the New Testament says, eagerly desire all spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So are you earnestly and eagerly desiring New Testament prophecy, new revelation on a regular basis? Or are you able to look at that New Testament text and say it's for us, but it, there was a direct immediate audience that it was to, to them for us. And so in the same way, I would look at the whole, not just one chapter in First Corinthians with the gifts of the Spirit, but with this Christian nationalism topic, I would look at the whole of the New Testament and say it's two first century Jews and Gentiles in a Roman run world. But it's for all the bedrock of the principles. Everything we need is there for us 2000 years later to establish Christian nations. Yeah. Um, oh, you have some, William? Go for it. Yeah, just look, I think um, I think this is a, it's a good question from Scott. Right. Like and I I, I want to feel the weight of that question. Where do you see this in the New Testament? But I had actually want to broaden the aperture where I, I want to look canonically. Where do we see that? Where do we see this across all of Scripture? which is, you know, how are rulers supposed to use their God-given authority to rule rightly? So where do I see Christian nationalism in the New Testament? Well, I see it, you know, when Jesus commands, you know, his followers to render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and to render unto God what is God's. I see it in Romans 13, 1 to 7. And I see it also in 1 Peter. I want to read this, 1 Peter 2, uh, 13 uh, through, through 15, where he says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to do what? To punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. What is the evil? What is the good? You know, if you're going to punish evil and praise good according to God's standards, you're a Christian nationalist. Let's go. You know, essentially like, you know, back then. And and then he, he says, for this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And then also when you look in, um, I think it's in Second Timothy, I'm forgetting the reference right now, but where he says, pray that, you know, pray for rulers, pray for kings that you could live quiet lives, mm. you know, 
again, that assumption there, this is really important. He's saying, pray for your rulers that they would rule justly. That's the implication so that you could live quiet lives and essentially so that the gospel could go forth. You know, uh, Paul is envisioning that when rulers and kings rule rightly because you're praying that they should rule rightly, then the gospel can spread. Christianity can continue to go forth instead of being, you know, worked against by the state. So I would say from start to finish, God understands that the institution of human authority, whether that's a king or a, or a king or a duly elected politician, is meant to be ruling under his, you know, righteous law. So then where would I put the New Testament twist on it? Well, you know, look, uh, when King Darius realized that God is the creator God, Daniel's God is God in Daniel 6, he doesn't say, he doesn't use the word Christian. Now everybody needs to worship the Christian God. He says everyone needs to worship Daniel's God, the God of the Hebrews, Yahweh, right? Well, now in the New Testament, we we have a name for this. It's our religion. It's Christian, right? We worship Christ. So when we say we need to worship the creator God, well, who's he been revealed most fully in his son, Jesus Christ? I mean, and there you have it in my, in my, you know, Good point. poor reasoning. You've got Christian nationalism. I'll William, add one. Let me just say, let me Go just say it. how proud I am of you as a Baptist to reference the Old Testament. I know you guys like the New Testament better. <laughs> I was gonna I bring that up. I just want to say I'm proud of you. <laughs> Thanks. Well, idea. the point I wanted to uh, just make briefly is that uh, I, I don't want to take a burden of proof that we don't actually need to bear in this case. And and if any of you guys want to take it, that's fine with me. But I've taken the position that. I don't think I have to find uh, explicitly a command for a Christian government and how to build a Christian government like 100%. the blueprints in the New Testament, because I don't think that's the purpose of the New Testament. Um, the New Testament is written to to mainly to churches and individuals providing instruction for them in this formative period. Um, why would you have to reinvent the wheel when you have an entire Old Testament that gives you uh, as a light to the nations, the laws of God? So. That's not been abrogated in any way. So uh, if, if you believe that, then the, the narrowing the, the uh, scope to just the New Testament, I think, is strategic because yep. it means that you have to try to find some verse in the New Testament when why can't you just say, well, look, God gave the whole entire canon of Scripture. Jesus assumed it. Uh, Paul assumed it. Uh, they both uh, adopted the moral principles from it. They even applied it to government. I mean, even Romans 13 is about the instructions to individuals and churches, it's not more so individuals and their behavior. Not, It's not a template on forming a government. We already have that. So um, anyway, uh, I that's got a question. For, point, John, because that's what Scott yeah. actually, you know, this 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 is an interesting um, hermeneutical difference, you know, which which maybe I think in, you know, very specifically, Scott is accurate. He's like saying, you know, the in the imperatives of Romans 13 are to believers, not to magistrates. Okay, like I'm happy to concede that, you know, but but still we're we're seeing a standard reiterated, good and evil. Well, who's good right. and evil? God's good and evil. Yeah, right. It's the fifth um, commandment. You know, hey, let me just ahead, one thing. <clears throat> the fifth commandment gives you the standard for how to submit to authority, but also how to wield authority. And Romans 12 talks about the law that's written on the heart that works alongside the conscience to either approve you or accuse you. And what's the law that's written on the heart? Well, it's the moral law. It's summarily comprehended in the Ten Commandments. So you've got the full scope of the, the canon uh, throughout the canon. It's constantly you know, reiterating itself, the same author. Uh, we do not need to just limit ourselves to the New Testament in that sense.
Yeah, good point. AD, I have a question for you. I got to ask this because I, I feel like we've been already going over an hour and a half. And um, I, I'd love to get one or two more points from uh, the G3 guys. But uh, as you can see, we're at 33 minutes, 34 minutes in. Um, you are the only one that has listened to this entire podcast. Where, if you can remember, where'd you go to find some good material to interact with? Like the strongest oh, case they make. Is three quarters the way through? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I man, I don't remember. I, I would probably go two thirds to three quarters. I honestly don't remember. And like I said, I was live tweeting it, so I just it's just not going to be in my memory. That's fine. Let's go forty five minutes in. Let's see if we can get one or two more points to interact yeah. with, and then we'll land the plane and, and just yep. have some final thoughts. Parole, but it's significant that in the next verses, what are the commandments Paul specifically cites? as those that are in this context. They're commandments that are summed up with, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Things like, you shall not murder, you shall not steal. That's not, he's not just, that's not a, a whiplash of, of topics. He's yeah. talking about government's role right. given to it by God, and then he moves directly to, for the purpose of keeping this love between neighbors, neighbors this, this uh, peace and stability right. in the civic sphere in this present evil age. Right. That is the government's role. Yeah, and so, you know, you have people that want to give examples and say, well, you know, what happens is someone in your church commits a crime, then you're going to have both the, the, the civil sphere and the church sphere, both authority figures are going to be engaged with that individual at different mm -hmm. levels. And yes. I would say yes and amen to that. Right, exactly. If someone is abusing children and we find out about it in the life of this church, we don't say, well, we're going to take six weeks to go through church discipline to the point of excommunication before we call the authorities. Right. We call the authorities day number one yep. because we understand that there is this separation between the civil sphere and the church, but at the same time, this person that's a member of this church is also a member of this state right. and this nation as well. And so we have to understand the balance that's there. And it's a beautiful thing, I think. And, and by the way, if someone in our congregation murdered someone, yep. right, we would deal with that from a spiritual standpoint, yes, but we, we don't have the authority of capital punishment. That's right. That authority has been given to the state. So there's... There, you know, th this is why it's complicated because yeah there are connections right the heart manifests i don't think any of us disagree with any of this no this is all <laughs> let's just skip ahead a little more let me see if we go uh 50 50 minutes in here yeah we've already covered this yeah yeah well, i mean it, well, this is a fast... go, ahead. go ahead you had uh, something well, to say know, I saw somebody in the chat again. This is this is fascinating. You know, you guys in your YouTube's like I'm not I'm not really into it. So it's like amazing watching people like um, do the chats live. You know, someone's yeah. like, well, does this really just come down to like um, your your disagreement over the use of the word Christian nationalism? <laughs> and and honestly, I do think a lot of it is gonna get down to that. Where I think everybody here would argue there is an adjectival use of Christian that is not exclusively pertaining to. Uh, the spiritual matters of regeneration and faith, Christian. You know, like, look, like I live here in Louisville. My my third kid was delivered at Baptist Health. Like, I don't feel any compulsion, any compulsion to go into this hospital. And be like, hey guys, uh, is everyone here only a baptized believer? You need, if not, you need to change that name. You know, it's like we just yeah. use these words, and that's a good thing, right? It's the sign of the gospel going forward. Yep. If anyone's listening in the chat and has like a specific uh, t time frame for me to go for in the video to respond to a good point, please drop it in the chat. 
Joel, if, you had real, something? Real, yeah, if anybody is wondering, well, what's the difference between you guys and G3? I can sum it up with, with just, it's like three or four things. One, they don't like the term. They think nationalism, they don't like the ism. I'm not a big fan of the ism either, but they think that uh, that it cannot, that nationalism, that word cannot be severed from Third Reich, Hitler, uh, racist tones, things like that. So they think it's a bad word that cannot be salvaged. It can't be uh, redeemed. Um, secondly, uh, they uh, the big thing is they they don't think that the first table of the law so ten commandments the first four uh, they don't think that the state uh, should ever enforce or legislate the first four of the ten commandments um, and then and then thirdly um, I think they genuinely in their heart of hearts um, I think you know one they don't want the first table of the law they don't want uh, the label they don't like ism uh, and then three I think uh, they in this not all Baptists not the Baptists on this call right now. But I think there is a history of this with Baptists. Baptists um, are used to being the minority. Baptists think that uh, that true faith, purity of gospel, purity of Christianity thrives under persecution. Um, they don't want to win uh, because winning is losing for them. Um, winning is how it's inevitable. If the, if you experience some degree of victory, it's going to actually three steps forward will give you seven steps backward. So for, for, for many and many, it's not just G3. I don't want to just pick on those guys, but for many people, it's what we've been saying earlier. They, they cannot comprehend a faithful Christian state that doesn't lend towards less regeneration, false assurance, false gospels, heresies, all these different things. And I, so, so I think those that, are the three big things. Yeah. That was really good. That last one you just said there, Joel, because actually I would let, uh, you know, again, just tr trying really hard to be like gracious and charitable to them. I do think our G3 brothers actually really would want to win on a ton of social issues we want to win on. Uh, like again, abolition. Yeah. I think they totally want to win on that, but it's what you just said there, which I think is really key is that they cannot, let's just put it this way they they cannot see a faithful christian state that does not lead to you know only dangerous anti-gospel um excessives or concerns in society so uh, if we're again to be super as charitable as possible they would say if you get that that's not actually winning they want to win right, they, right. they think that that is not is not winning i think um and that last point you just touched on i think is is is, is exactly it we have a right. very different imagination of what a a, a christian state could look like mm -hmm. yeah that's true well i don't have any time stamps in in the chat so let me just I, i'm shooting in the dark here a little but um i think i'm at 50 minutes in let's just see if there's a, a point here to be made that we can uh respond to uh and and really falling into the very trap that's been laid for us yeah. that really could become very dangerous going down the road. I, I, I wrote an article <laughs> a little bit about that that alluded to this reactionary movement yeah. that that we're witnessing. And, and, and I kind of I looked at it and said they're taking on, they, those who hold to Stephen Wolf's version of Christian nationalism, they're really picking up the playbook from the woke left. Mm. Um, it, it really struck me. In fact, I, 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 I challenged them with, with this. I said many would contend that the struggle for social justice and the propagation of Christian nationalism share no similarities. And I, I absolutely disagree. Uh, both are responses to feelings of subjugation and powerlessness. Each seek a top-down government-facilitated remedy for their concerns. Both are willing to cede authority to the government 
for the benefit of their respective peoples. Both parties recognize that constitutional powers, such as the First Amendment, must be constrained to advance their cause. Mm -hmm. And so what we're seeing is, and, 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 and I get it, uh, and, and I'll, just, I'll just be, I'll speak plain English here. Uh, white guys are upset. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, mm -hmm. and, and, and I get it. Right. Every white time they turn around. <laughs> Wait, what? What did I just hear? What? Okay, well, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad I found, yeah, did I? Okay, you've listened to it, so is that the, is that the sound bite I needed to play? I want to hear AD's, it's, it's, AD's No, it's, it's, it's one of them, man. AD as our representative, as the representative's <laughs> white brother on this call, would you respond to that? Yeah, no, I mean, it's just really funny to me, and I remember when I, uh, when I was live tweeting it, I think I said that it, it reminds me of that white lash comment from, uh, Don Van Lennon Jones. Who, who, oh, yeah, Van Jones. Van that's Jones. the guy, yeah. That's right. Well, you know, it's, it, it, you know and, and Virgil does kind of nibble around the edges of, of that kind of statement a couple times during this thing. And I think he's specifically referring to Stephen Wolf, uh, his brand of it, and, um, and people that, you know, really like Stephen. Um, it's, honestly, it, it's just so hilarious to me because, like, in the space of, like, 30 seconds, he accuses... Christian nationals of a playing the woke game. And then he says that. <laughs> yeah. I think you got to laugh. <laughs> yeah. I, I will say this though. I mean, I hope, I hope this doesn't lead to my like total and utter cancellation, but I, I think that like, I think two things can be true at the same time. I, I really do. And let me, let me put them like this. I think that I do think that white men in America are, are frustrated with a lot of things, right? Like, I mean, even I, I, I've talked publicly about my concerns of raising three white young boy, you know, three new white men in the country that we're, you know, we're becoming. Uh, there's clearly, you know, I, I had um, I sat down with a mentor of mine a while back when I was D.C. and I was looking at trying to switch jobs and I was looking at going into sort of the big, uh, you know, the big consulting world. And this guy straight up told me, you're a white man and you didn't go to an Ivy League school. I wouldn't even waste your time. So I do think, let's put it this way, I think that white men are frustrated in America and potentially for very legitimate reasons. That said, that's not what's driving the Christian nationalism conversation, right? So like no, Christian no, Christianity is a white man's religion. What are you talking about? Yeah, so I think, I think there's a conflation there between a social reality of the way that white people have been treated and talked about in America lately, uh, but that is not the driving force of Christian nationalism. I was looking for the. I just did a podcast. I can't find the name of the uh, the lady, but uh, there there was someone who's associated with James Lindsay just recently, and I think James Lindsay's even said this that the Christian nationalist types or conservative Christians is what she said are based or they're woke. She even used that term. They're woke. Um, and I, I, oh, the this only is thing, the lady who says I'm going to get caught with like some underage. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. She was re real nice, it was real nice, uh, anti, so anti-woke wants to cancel Christians. It's just so anti-woke to do that. Um, <laughs> so, uh, the, the thing though, that like, I guess the only thing I can think of that parallels this is they're saying that, well, the woke people see that there's oppressors and oppressed and Christian nationalists say that there's oppressors and oppressed. And they think they're the ones that are oppressed because as Christians, uh, the laws are now running against us, so we're oppressed, and we need some some power to come in and and stop this. And so that must mean, I, I guess that's the only thing I can think of that must make it woke somehow. It's like you're after power to to right this wrong. But the thing is, like, 
the, the problem with the woke thing was that they had a broken barometer for measuring oppression. Right. So they that, would say it's yeah. over there. It's, and it's upside like, no, down. It's <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. It, was, it was false. That was the issue. That, um, yeah. It's like all of human history, including biblical history, has oppressors and oppressed. Like it's it's not like it's the do- it, it doesn't explain everything. It's not an ideology like Marx came up with. But you're going to have situations in history where there's people oppressing other people like to say that doesn't mean you're woke. So I will yield the floor. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you, John. That's what I was trying to say earlier is, is that um, it's not just, you know, we went at it against the woke stuff with the line of like, this is a conflation of gospel and works, Galatian heresy, you know, doing the gospel, the whole gospel, the great requirement. But there were some guys doing that, that they were adding legalism, adding works. But the thing is, they weren't just adding works to the free gospel of grace through faith in Christ alone, but they were adding bad works, perverse works like like dung works like they, they weren't good works they weren't righteous works by any standard so even if the categories were separate of grace gospel and law it wasn't it wasn't they're conflating law and gospel they're conflating uh gospel with a perverse law and so all that being said it's like well this is just the woke thing well ho- hold up um what what are we asking for what what is the position like the civil magistrate has been given a sword it, of course it coerces. That's what they're supposed to do. They're, they're, they're only supposed to coerce. They're not actually supposed to preach. They're, they're the only not reason supposed I file to. my taxes. Right, exactly. Amen. Everything they do is at gunpoint, and it's supposed to be at gunpoint. So let's just make sure every, the, the state can only do things that Isaiah even talks about. Ezekiel talks about, um, about kings and rulers and compares them to like lions and bears. They have claws right that like all they can do so when you're thinking of like who should i drop my kids off with not a state school right not a a bear not a lion you give that to a woman who nurtures who's kind who's gentle so you so all that my whole point is the 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 state by design by whose design god's design it carries a sword it's like a lion it's like a bear all it does is coerce. It, it, it has no choice but to coerce. So the question is, should Christians be using the Word of God to tell them what uh, should be at gunpoint? What should be at the end of, of a sword? And G3, for the record, would say, yes, they, they, they would agree with us on that. And they say, yeah, let's speak to them. Let's say this. Let's say that. Like, yes, we should be telling them. The Bible is telling them that they need to be doing these things. Uh, but th- that's Again, the comment, though, that Virgil made, and I like Virgil, but the comment he made about it being woke, no, no, the, the whole woke social justice movement, the problem with that was that it was a perversion of everything that the Word of God says. It says, hey, don't worry about uh, of that. Um, don't worry about whether or not that person pulled out a gun, the perpetrator pulled out a gun and pointed at a police officer. All you need to know to determine what was just is what color was the police officer and what color was the guy who got shot, right? What we're not, we're taking off the blindfold. We're exercising partiality. So the problem with wokeness was that it wasn't just. The irony is that everything you read, the statement on Christian nationalism and the gospel, go to the statement on Christian We just released the, the new version, updated version today. This, uh, the, uh, the statement on Christian nationalism.com. Is that right, Dusty? Yep. The statement on Christian nationalism.com. Go and look at it. And I, I want to hear people tell me, I want to hear what is not in accordance with biblical law. 
because because you read some some woke statement back go back to 2017 2018 listen to the um and a listen to th these guys and 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 you can just find chapter in verse from the scripture that says the opposite of what these guys were saying i but i i I would defy G3 or anybody to do that with our statement. What are we saying that is that is um, just white men are mad or or just an overreaction? Everything we're saying is, hey, let's be biblical. So, uh, I'd like to get everyone's final thoughts here. I don't think we have time to play any more of it. But, AD, I'd like you to go first, if you would, just because you actually listened to this entire exchange. I know you live tweeted it. Um, yeah. I have my impression from the little I heard. I'm sure all sure. of you guys do. But since you've heard more of it, what's your overall impression about uh, this podcast, this this uh, critique of Christian nationalism? Right. So when this podcast came out, uh, they had already been tweeting for a few weeks at this point. And uh, so I, you know, when I went into the podcast, I had super low expectations. I thought it was going to be a disaster. And it wasn't. Um, there was a lot of stuff that I disagreed with. But I disagreed with it like in a completely normal sort of way. And it was a it was a way where I felt like I could actually talk to these guys and actually, you know, we could talk this out. And and it was interesting when I was live tweeting it. So many of my tweets, I mean, of course, you know, I have my style. I'll, I'll joke a little bit. But so many of my tweets were super simple responses and because a lot of what they brought up could be responded to. And very simply. And then they could they don't have to agree with you. But but I think you'd get to closer to an understanding or or closer to some kind of, uh, you know, just acknowledgement um, from the other side that that, you know, we might have some meaningful things to say uh, very quickly and very easily without a lot of effort. And I and, and so what I'll say is this kind of listening to some of this again for the second time is that I would be personally I would be edified so much to hear G3 talk to any of you guys or all of you guys. You know what I mean? And I could, you know, I, I joke around. I know what I do. You know, I, I antagonize people. I get it. I do that intentionally. So it doesn't have to, I don't have to be involved. But like, it would be so awesome for so many people. And so that's what I'll say. I'll say that this, there's a lot of misrepresentation here. There's a lot of things to disagree with. But this, the, the, the whole tenor of this, the whole, everything that they presented leads me to believe that we could actually move this ball forward, I think, all together. Anyone else? I know you didn't hear the whole thing, but uh, I mean, and you and you can make general statements about just this whole controversy that spanned the last two months now, almost. Uh, I'll, I'll just say uh, something in conclusion. I appreciate these guys. I think we actually agree on a whole lot more than uh, what initially uh, their tweets and some of the, the memes that were generated from some of their tweets, there was just a big dust up. And then it seems like things have really calmed down and like maybe G3 has thought through some of their positions a little bit more. Um, and I mean, I think uh, the bulk of what we have said tonight, we're going to agree with. And I just think we need to be in the same room and, and talk through some of these matters. But whenever it comes to government, I, I, I think some of the, the distinctions are uh, maybe they, they just haven't recognized that actually you God has given permission for his people to actually rule in the civil sphere. God didn't just give permission, but he commanded for his people to, to wield authority in the civil sphere 
according to his word. And so how do we do that? Well, you again, if you're going to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, then pray and expect Christ to answer those prayers. If you're going to seek first the kingdom of heaven and all his righteousness, well, what are you, what are you actually seeking? Well, you're seeking personal holiness for sure, but you're also seeking the rule of Christ in his kingdom. So when we start to talk about the purpose of government. I'll go back to something I said earlier. We have to start with thinking about, about it from the very top. Christ has all rule and authority, and so the purpose of government is to glorify God in the use of authority. And in that use of authority, every person, 1 Corinthians 10.31, must do all that they do, whether they eat or drink or sleep or govern mm -hmm. to the glory of God and to Christ deserves the obedience of the nations, the, his government and of its increase and of peace, there will be no end. And as soon as we have more and more churches faithfully preaching the gospel, holding these legislators accountable for uh, keeping with their confession of faith in how they legislate, in doing their work heartily as under the Lord, I think we'll see not just uh, revival, but we'll also see reformation in the spheres. We're seeing it in our church. We're seeing it in, I think there is a, a massive reformation in uh, fathers leading their families in family worship and fathers uh, leading in the churches and saying, God's calling us is a lot more than what we may have been taught and, and what we have received. And they're coming back to the scriptures. And I think the same thing is actually happening right now in the civil sphere. And these conversations like this, conversations that matter, are actually pushing the uh, pushing us closer to a biblical worldview than, than what a lot of us received, especially pre-COVID. Yeah, good, good. William, Joel? I've yeah, I've got a closing. I've got a, a closing statement, and then you know um, we can let Joel go after this. I, I would just say that if you're a, if you're a Baptist and you support religious liberty, um, and you reject the myth of neutrality, which is critical, and you can see that sort of the collective pre-liberal commitments that are either explicitly Christian or natural law, which I argue are very much one and the same you know, are needed to sort of re-pour sound societal foundations in America, then, you know, Christian nationalism is the program for you. A, a, another Baptist, Craig Carter, wrote an article on this, um, you know, in American Reformer, and I've pulled up some of the quote here. He says, somebody has to say no to the radical secularists who want to tear everything down. And I would say, who's going to say no? You know, Christian nationalists are going to say no. You know, and he says, why do people today seem to think that tradition and history is irrelevant and that we have to invent everything about our political system out of nowhere? And he says, you don't. He said, most Christians have believed in what we would call Christian nationalism for like a millennium and a half. And were they all wrong? No, they weren't. And so at, at what I would call is a civil, civilizational and cultural crossroads, Baptists need to decide whether or not we're going to do political theology by slogans or by tradition and scripture. You know, are we going to do political theology by free state and a free church or by the entire canon of God's word? And I would Amen. say that we need to land 
on God's word. And there's a, another Baptist brother who I ha has a great article of this, Graham Shear, and he said that Baptists have an intrinsic place with American political settlement, not as those who believe that any reference to Jesus should be banished from the civic square, but as those who affirm liberty of conscience within a political settlement that recognizes its power and legitimacy comes from the true king of kings. And if that's Christian nationalism, and I'm arguing that it is, then I think Baptists need to lean into it. We need to embrace it and shape it according to our commitments as part of the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all the nations. So I'm, I'm here for Baptist Christian nationalism, if that's what Baptist Christian nationalism is. Nice. So the last thing that I'll say is this. I am a post-millennial theonomist. The reason why Christian nationalism appeals to me is exactly what William just said. Um, because we're not going to win a nation uh, with me and 15 other people. Uh, we can't do it without the Baptist. You know, I've had tons of people, you know, we joked earlier about, you know, is Joel Presbyterian? Like, well, <laughs> that's the funny thing is that... Um, Baptists outnumber Presbyterians 10 to 1 in our nation. If it's just the Presbyterians, then then we're done. We might as well just go to George Soros today and just hand over, you know, the keys to the, you know, the nation and let's go ahead and just submit to the one, you know, global world order and ship ship us off to the gulags now. Like what what are we even what are we even doing here? And so I, what I like about the Christian nationalist project is that it's a big tent. Now, of course, there are downsides to that, right? I'm going to disagree with, with some of my brothers. I'm going to say, ah, well, you know, like you're a real big fan of Thomas Aquinas and I like Van Til. You know, you're pre-mill and I'm, you know, I'm post-mill and you're Presbyterian and I'm Baptist, you know, what, whatever. Um, but that's, that's the beauty of what William's articulating. I think what all of us are articulating throughout this video tonight is that um, there's a lot of ways to get to the statement, the one statement, Jesus is Lord, Lord of all. There's a lot of different ways that you can get there through the post-mill theonomic path. That's the path that I'm taking. I think it's the best, best path, right? Like, shocker, I think that my theology is right. Crazy, huh? Yeah, so I think that's the best path. Um, but but the thing is, even if you're pre-mill, see, people say, well, you're only doing this because you're post-mill. And you think, well, think about this for a second. Let's say historic pre-mill is right. And let's say that you hold to that. Even disby pre-mill, my goodness, I, I don't even want to include it as a possible, you know, eschatology. But even if you're dispensational pre-mill, every person who's held that view for the last 150 years that thought Jesus was going to come back next Thursday was wrong. And and how much could, could get, get accomplished since Schofield? How much could be done in 150 years? Now, historic premio, all the way back to Justin Martyr, arguably the, you know, the earliest eschatological view on the scene before post-mill and all-mill. If you're historic pre-mill, uh, people have been historic pre-mill for 2,000 years. And, and guess what? Jesus still hasn't returned, which means you know, you could, you could, Christians could have been sitting on their hands for 2,000 years, or they could have been saying, no man knows the day or the hour. Right? Like that sounds biblical. There's some New Testament for everybody. So so no man knows the day or the hour, even from a historic pre-mill uh, perspective, even from the Disby pre-mill, which just, again, breaks my heart But to, to include them. But even the Disby pre-mill uh, perspective, Jesus could kill, still come back 100 years from now. Our country is only 250 years old. That's almost half the life of the entire existence of America. 
think how much could change and think what a difference it would make for our children, for grandchildren, for great grandchildren. That's the Christian nationalist project. That's why it's a big tent. That's why it matters. And that's why, you know, because I get guys all the time saying, why don't you just, you do the Theonomy and Post Mill Conference. Why don't you just wear that label? Um, because I, I like the 550 people who came to my conference. I think next year we can double, but I'm never, I'm never going to get millions. I think we can get millions behind this big tent banner of Christian nationalism. That's why I'm on this call. That's why I'm partnering with my friends, these brothers who I love and who I'm learning from because I'm not right about everything. I think I am, but I'm not. I, th th this is how we win. I want to win. And it's my, that's the irony. It's my post-millennialism that makes me uh, willing to wear the Christian nationalist hat because I want to win and not just on Twitter, hashtag that post mill, but actual wins, real wins. And so... Yeah, that, that's yeah. my concluding thoughts. Thank you, Joel. And, and uh, uh, Pastor Devers, AD, William, uh, man, appreciate all you guys. And I know this is uh, a, a sacrifice of time. You you have a lot of things you could be doing tonight, and you spent uh, the last now two hours uh, sitting down talking about these issues because um, it matters to you. And I think you, you do care about uh, G3 brothers. I know you, and the main issue I think that brought us all together is we care about the people who are watching this on social media. We want them to understand what's going on uh, so that they can navigate it rightly. And, and I know there's a lot of frustration out there and hopefully uh, we've done some to made some strides to dispel some of that. Um, I, I will say this, um, in closing, I haven't obviously heard this entire podcast. I've read all the articles I know of on the G3 website about this, and I've seen the tweets and, and I've corresponded just a, a little bit with two of the guys, um, that were in that particular podcast. But most of the critiques that I've heard, uh, especially in this podcast, were not that substantial. And I think they could be easily navigated in a conversation. To be honest with you, um, we're not woke, uh, and and I again, I'm someone who hasn't even taken the label Christian nationalist, but I I find myself very um, pulled in that direction because of uh, I think what you said it best, William. Um, those who are using this term positively are trying to recover something that's been lost, uh, and and, and what, for whatever uses that term used to have, whatever uh, the people that I see in this chat are trying to recover something. And in the times in which we live, this isn't going away. Unconventional approaches aren't going away. We're going to be seeing uh, national divorce language, and we need a Protestant Franco-type language, and who knows what else language in the years to come, because the conventional approaches aren't working. People, younger people especially, I think, understand we're post-constitutional in some ways. Uh, we, the debt and everything else financially is unsustainable. Uh, we're worse off than our parents were, and it's, that's just economically, but morally, I mean, we're sinking really fast. We don't want our kids groomed. I mean, all of these things are culminating and bubbling up and, and it's, and, and they are, people don't want the same old, uh, talking points and solutions that haven't worked during their entire lifetime. So I think this stuff isn't going away. And as Christians, hopefully we need to think about ways that we can, um, understand and, and look, if, even if you don't agree with Christian nationalism, you're going to have people in your ministries or in your churches who are attracted to this kind of stuff. How do you minister to them? How do you encourage them? What kinds of positive things that you have in common with them can you encourage them towards? Because there seems like there, there are plenty of those things. Um, so it's just a shame to me, I guess, that we couldn't have the conversation tonight like we wanted to. Just a back and forth 
I, I don't even need to be part of it. And I've said that in, in my own messages to Josh, like, I don't need to be part of this, but I, I would love to see that kind of a brotherly interaction. And, and if you can find common cause with James Lindsay, right. And have him on a podcast and uh, you, you can certainly have common cause with your brothers who are using this particular label and you agree with on probably 90% of, of, of stuff. Um, so I, I just want to say that my hope is that there'll be a, a reconsideration of this. Um, my platform's open. I'm sure any of the men here would open their platform up. Uh, it doesn't matter where it happens. doesn't really matter who all is part of it, but for really productive discussions, respectful discussions that take place, um, I'm all for it. And I know all you guys are too. So um, yeah, let's pray for that. Let's look forward to the possibility of that. And um, but let's let's keep you know with conviction going down the road that we think God has called us to. And I know uh, for everyone in this particular uh, chat right now, we believe that Jesus is Lord, and we think that a distinctly Christian government is a good positive thing, and a distinctly Christian culture is a good positive thing. And we'd like to preserve some of what we've lost. So um, with that, I want to just thank you guys all again. Uh, for joining me. And unless there's any urgent final thoughts, we'll end the podcast. I, I got one that I think I knew you did. I knew William. I, I knew I know, you I know. That's who I am. It's just like this is how I work, right? I'm an iterative, I'm an iterative guy. That's why I love Twitter, actually. But I just want to say this, like I, because John, I want to help us all here because of like we are not saying this is more important than the gospel. We just aren't, right? Like that's not what we're saying. You know, like you know, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. But we are here saying that the gospel is of first importance, and this is also important too, but it's not more important. Our, our hope isn't finally in Christian government. Nobody here is saying that. I just want to try to take that, take that response away from anybody who listens to this and makes it all the way to the end. Our hope is in Christ. Our hope is in the gospel. And we just also want to see the civil rulers be faithful to Christ in their appropriate spheres. Gospel, then government. Awesome. All right. Well, God bless, guys. Have a good night. Thank you. Thanks, John.